One podcast has crushed the horror landscape, leaving behind the silent audio waves of all of those who have came before. Introducing our hosts. This man needs no introduction, but needs seven takes to record his own. He is known for rating bad movies high and known for rating good movies high. Don't try to call him because he only phones it in. He is our host from the foreign land of Canada, Mood 616. This man is willing to die even on the smallest of hills. He argues to the point in which he disagrees with himself. A man who knows a remake when he sees one. He is the Mexican-born super producer known as the humble one and the sexy one, JP. They are known for creating superstars out of their guests. They are known for being the number one horror podcast on the Horophilia Network, except for when they allow others to take a turn. They are the devil's advocate of horror podcasting. They are the 22 Shots of Moods and Horror. Yes, yes, y'all, it's going down right now. Episode 83 of the 22 Shots of Moods and Horror podcast is coming at you live. I am your host, Henry616, also known as Moods. And of course, I've always got my partner in crime by my side, Otis. Oh, hell also known no. as Double Shot G, a.k.a. Gary, also known as Double Shot J, a.k.a. JP, or my little brother Justin from PA. What's going on, my brother? First of all, there's no way in hell I'm being Otis, okay? Like, you can't just you can't just go and say, like, oh, I get to be Henry, the cool one, the one that the movie's about. And and you're my you're my uh closet homosexual Otis. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> or the guy that tries like, to Like I would rather sister. be the the sister. <laughs> yeah, Otis is an interesting character, isn't he, man? He's confused. He's very, very confused. He doesn't know if he's homosexual or if he wants to fuck his sister. Or both. Or both, yeah. I mean <laughs> So if you haven't noticed by now, tonight it is episode eighty three titled Serial Killers Henry Lee. Portrait of a serial killer. Yeah. One and two. One, it's weird that they made two, but uh, we'll get to that later. Um, one of the things that, that is pretty cool about the new way we're doing these episodes, you know, we, we did it twice. I believe, was it twice last time, or did we do it only once with anthologies? Um, well, we did anthologies, and then we did the trilogies. I know what you did last summer, but this time it's serial killers, and it just yep. so happens that both of the films are Henry Lee Lucas so uh, that's what this episode will be. We plan to probably come back to this because there's like millions of serial killer films. Oh, man, there, there's so many good ones. I actually just recently picked up Citizen X, which I'm really stoked to check Who's out. Who's that on? Um, it's like I, I can't remember exactly the guy's name. He's really, really notorious for killing like a shitload of people. Um, you probably recognize I, his name slips my mind right now. It's it's not one of those household names, but, you know, um, the thing about these Henry films that surprises me is that the second one is actually you know subtitled portrait of a serial killer again yeah you know it's kind of even so it just it just i don't know it just kind of throws you off when you see that but but yeah there's so many i I think we could probably do 10 volumes of serial killers i mean there's a lot of actually actual really good films isn't there i mean we were talking about the Dahmer ones are all pretty good i mean you know personally that and the listeners that Dahmer i was really high on i believe was my number four of 2002 like i loved it yeah, yeah, it's surprisingly surprising how many Dahmer films they've made that are pretty good and stuff. But yeah, there's tons, man. I still got to check out that Gacy one from that, you know, that kind of four block that they yeah. put out there in 2002, 2003. But uh, the uh, the Ed Gein one is really good. 
really good, man. Steve Railsback plays Ed Gein in that yeah, one. And I, just... Also, I mean, you could do like a nice little double feature for Ed Gein with Deranged and oh. and Ed Gein. <laughs> oh yeah, big time. This, you know, you could even throw TCM there, but which would never happen because that would be on a different show. You gotta get. We gotta get to that franchise sometime too. I know Zach. Get, is that, Zach the question all the time. People are like, "When are you guys gonna start doing some popular franchises?" But <laughs> like, no, man, we really like to do the Howlings and you know the Leprechauns, Children and of the Corn, Children of the Corn, and like absolutely pulverize ourselves with the Howling. Even after we did that show, I think both of us were like, "Hey, man, um, we should probably not do a franchise show for about twenty episodes." <laughs> I know. I, f- I really did feel like that, and you know me, dude. I never feel like that. I'm always like, "When are we gonna do?" another franchise show when we get oh. the franchise show and that it's, one i was just like i'm done i'm tapping out for a little while it's miserable man i remember the conversations after like no way there's no way the howling franchise is worse than children on the corn i'm like you obviously have not seen all the films then <laughs> and you if you watch them all in a close vicinity dude it is like it's just so rough like oh, i thought the God. to me it used to be the Silent Night, Deadly Night franchise was the pa- most painful to get through. Howling yeah. blows that away by a long shot. I would love to watch – I'd rather watch Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2 six times in a row than watch freaking six Howling films. I, I would rather watch Part 3 and 4 of the Silent Night, Deadly Night <laughs> franchise than, than – I, I don't know, man, half those Howling films. Part 7 is quite literally one of the worst films I've ever seen in my life. I didn't hate part seven as much as you guys, but it's it a is, bad movie. A hundred percent. I think that we did say that the next franchise we're going to do is going to be a little bit of a better one, which I think we, I think we said we was going to do the omen a few months back. Uh, yeah. We well, it was, it was kind of funny because we'd originally planned to do invasion of the body snatchers, uh, all those films. And, uh, we just, I don't know. I, I think we should do the omen next. Um, let us know your guys' thoughts. Maybe the Omen, because we kind of get we need JP to watch these films. Yeah, I, I've still never seen any of the Omens, yeah. and uh, as far as TCM goes, like that's obviously the like, guy will not retire from this show until we at least do that. So you know we we have we have to stay as long as we do that, man. Because I think Zach won't be able to die. Like, he won't even be able to die in life if we don't get to TCM. He'll be like 152 well, just like sitting there like like refreshing the interwebs. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean we, we we still have like three of the biggest franchises to do. So, I mean th- they're all eventually going to come. I'm the really – The only one that we've touched – that we've actually done is Halloween like out of the big yeah. four. Yeah. And like we've we've still not done Hellraiser, um, oh, the, the classic – Pumpkinhead franchise. We still haven't got to that yet. The classic Pumpkinhead <laughs> franchise. <laughs> oh Jesus! Yeah, I mean they're ev- they're eventually going to come. Paranormal Saw. activity. Yeah, and which Paranormal actually was even. Um, uh, I think we had it on a list to do, and we just I don't know. I think we're Dude, waiting. It's for been on the one. list since episode like five. Yeah, I know. I, th- I think it's because we're waiting for one to come out and then another one came out. <laughs> they just keep announcing that, these Well, that's so. what happened with Wrong Turn. I remember there was four – I think there was four Wrong Turns or there might have – the fifth one might have just came out when – no, because what happened was I suggested Wrong Turn one through four back on Burial Grounds when we did that show. That's right. And then I we carried over some of those show ideas to the 22 Shots of Moods and Horror and then we waited because like part five was out and then – 
you know, it took a little while and then they announced part six and then, you know, now they announced like part seven. So, <laughs> um, we might as well wait till that one comes out. I know. And that, that's kind of the same deal with Hellraiser too, right? Since there is another one probably coming out soon. Yeah. You know? I, I'm actually looking forward to doing that one. I think that one will be fun. I think it is going to be fun to talk about some of the sequels because it's always associated with being one of the worst f- overall franchises. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be interesting because, you know, that's what people always said about Children of the Corn. Children of the Corn doesn't have great sequels, but they're not like the worst films in the world. Maybe besides part six. But, yeah. 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 You know, but they're not like the most dreadful things in the world. Definitely better than part seven of the howling. Jesus Christ. But woo, yeah. So what's been going on, man? What uh, what'd you get up to this week? Uh, well, this week was actually a little more eventful than most of my weeks. Uh, I actually went to the drive-in second time this year. I've went to mm. a drive-in. Nice. I uh, nice. didn't go to like a retro-themed one this time, uh, but I do plan to in September uh, to the April or the September Ghouls Day or whatever the hell it is out in uh, Vandergrift, PA. We went there for April, which was really cool. Uh, but I just went to like a, like modern films this this past weekend, and I went and seen The Shallows and The Conjuring Two at the drive-in. And crazy. So a few bad things happened. One, I forgot all of my money at home. So like. And then the second sucks. bad thing was, you know, just before The Conjuring Two was ready to start, the usher came in and told you it was they're having technical difficulties and then they couldn't play it. <laughs> no, but funny thing is. The oh, next really? The day, only a co-worker, a co-worker of mine went to that same drive-in to see the same two movies, and they had to send everybody home with mu- their with a refund because the audio was out of sync or it wasn't coming in or something. <laughs> what? Which is just brutal because apparently they were like packed, which they were packed Friday when I went too, and that that this is a drive-in, guys that that I've been going to since I was, you know, literally able to to pay attention to things i haven't been in a long time i seen freddy versus jason there in 2003 on opening night i seen a lot of movies there growing up haven't been there in years probably like seven uh, or more i don't even remember i think the last thing that i seen there was like uh like a anchorman movie or something or like knocked up or something i can't remember (laughs) (laughs) um yeah it was not a horror movie the last so you mean to tell me that the conjuring 2 is so damn scary that it's not it's not even allowing itself to be played in in random theaters and drive-ins around north america (laughs) you know it's just like no this shit's so scary it's gonna scare the shit out of these people we're just gonna throw the audio off so they can all get refunds and stuff what the fuck is going on with this movie man it's crazy so this drive-in though it it is a drive-in that's been a long, around for a long time. It has a lot of history. Uh, it used to play like Brian House films back in back in the day, and it did a lot of porn. Like back, I think in the seventies, uh, they they pay, played a lot of porn. Uh, it's a three-screen drive-in, so that they, they there's six movies usually every night. Uh, two one on two on one two on each screen. And this one was The Shallows and The Conjuring too. And I forgot all my money except for I had ten dollars to pay to get in. They don't take like debit cards or credit cards, so mm-hmm. like I couldn't buy any food. Luckily, uh, the person that I went with hooked me up and and bought me some cheese fries because I got to get some cheese fries. Yeah. And uh, you know, so it th- this drive-in almost got shut down a few years ago when all the movie studios no longer was providing film everybody had to upgrade to digital and i believe that the uh dodge or some car company or something had a big contest with all the drive-ins to to you know donate projectors to them 
And I believe we was part of that contest and almost won or got close to winning or something like that. But we ended up, they ended up giving us a projector anyway, I believe. And even though we lost and then they put together, they ended up getting, you know, two more over the last two years. Uh, I believe this is the first year the third screen has been opened back up. I could be wrong on that though. Anyway, it's, it's amazing because these projectors are like a hundred thousand dollars each. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, so I was so happy to finally be back at the drive-in. And unfortunately, one one issue that I did have was we kind of parked at an odd angle or something because during The Conjuring 2, during like the dark scenes, which it's The Conjuring 2, there's a lot of them, the screen was like black. It was so hard to see what was going on. That's the one negative about drive-ins is – is you know it, it, if you don't get that good parking spot you're kind of effed but yeah i agree i, I, agree. I did i did like both movies honestly like the shallows you'll like a lot it's like definite it's like shark exploitation style shit you know it, it's a little more of a you know mainstream type movie but it's 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 a shark movie at its core and uh you know it's not the next jaws or anything like that any by any stretch of the imagination but it is a fun little like popcorn shark movie. I think it's also PG 13, which I didn't know until after I seen it, mm-hmm. but it, it's something that should have been a little bit better. Cause if they would have played it like straight survival horror, like I was expecting, uh, it probably would have been a little bit better, but there's a lot of like actiony type Hollywood moments where it's like, you know, kind of ridiculous and unbelievable. Uh, but a little too much CGI as well. But it was it was pretty solid. I, I definitely enjoyed that one. I'd probably give that one around a seven out of ten. And The Conjuring two, from what I was seeing, I was really into it. Uh, I I liked it about as much as the first one. But I literally I wouldn't even be confident in giving it a full blown rating, even though I'm going to. I'll give it an eight out of ten right now without seeing it again because it's it was so dark that I literally missed scares. It would be like a scare. And then I'm like, Hey, what, what happened? I, I couldn't see, you know, and the girl <laughs> wow. that I went with was also just sort of like, uh, I can't see anything that's going on, but she was, she was pretty freaked out too at moments. Cause the music was good. And, and, and it was like, cause you couldn't see stuff. You were kind of like, when you thought you seen something, it would scare you. And then it's like, Oh wait, that's nothing. <laughs> that's just dark. <laughs> So now you're just reacting to other people reacting. Yeah. Like, oh, oh, really? Something happened? (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, it was fun. I had a good time. I'm definitely going to, if they play like The Purge out there, I'll probably go back and check that out as well. See The Purge 3 and any other horror movies that come out while it's open, man. I'm down. Drive-ins are fun. Uh, In the past like year, dude, I've seen so many movies. Like I've, I've went to the cinema more than I've been in years. Like I've seen 10 Cloverfield Lane and The Witch and I've seen all those, uh, old you know lost boys and and monster squad uh and now you know these two movies Jesus, two now other- you're just bragging <laughs> yeah yeah Man. it's crazy dude i never do that <laughs> i heard I, I heard that you went to see the conjuring and did you end up going to see it <laughs> fuck the conjuring man and the conjuring too and fucking no i have, I have shit experiences in the theater i swear to god <laughs> But, you know, and, you know, the most frustrating thing about the Conjuring 2 episode where obviously we didn't get to see it was the simple fact that we don't really get a lot of horror films here. So I was like, yeah, I was all stoked to see it. And I was like, no, really? You know, like we just like we don't even have the shallows. We don't have anything, man. It's just it's terrible. So that was my big shot, man. That was my big shot to see a film on the big screen. And uh, no, you know, instead, I just end up going to see shitty films like Annabelle and, you know, garbage like that. (laughs) 
not cool, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what it's you, just, was you into anything this week? What was I up to this week? Um just busy, man. Uh with the kids last week of school, he was done on Wednesday, so I've been busy. Uh like super busy today actually. Yeah, I was just kind of lounging in my pool all day. <laughs> That's how busy I was. No, but he I've got him all day now. So it's summer holidays and stuff, but no, we were finished up with like BMX and uh and baseball and just everything, man. It's just like go, go, go and and I'm doing this. This is all I've done all week was just basically prepare for the 96 show and um and watch the films for this one. That's all I've done. I've yeah, been, dude. I'm, I've been so busy. I haven't even had a chance to like, you know, watch other films to review. And like, it's been, it's just been a tight, tight week. So yeah. And plus we're preparing to, um, we have a family reunion next week and Aaron's family is, all came in from Toronto. And so we're hanging out with her sister tomorrow and her brother on Saturday. So we're kind of preparing for that and shit too. So, you know, the whole family thing that I'm just like, eh. <laughs> you know, I'm not overly excited because it's exhausting because when the whole family gets together on her side, there's like 11 kids <laughs> under the age I know of 11. What that's like, man. Of yeah. under the age of 11. And it's like, oh my, there's, oh, fuck, it's just, it's, it's exhausting watching these kids run around. So, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much all I've done this week. Nothing too, too exciting at yeah, all. I, I got, I, I'm actually like more busy than I've been in, in a long time. Uh, like today I went, one of, one of my, uh, homies at work, uh, Joe is, uh, moving on to another job and we threw him like a little surprise party thing today. So I had to rush back home and, and pop in. Uh, the, uh, Henry two, I had to finish up, I had to finish those two films. So I, I watched the second one. Um, obviously UFC 200 is next freaking weekend. Like I'm so psyched. Me, me and my boy are going to have like a, a big thing. Uh, we, I, it, I got a friend who's getting married coming up. I've never even been to a wedding. So that's kind of interesting for me. Wow. And, uh, you know, all, also mm. there's, uh, I might go to a local MMA show. Uh, which I've, I've never been to an MMA show. So, you know, uh, it's, it's, um, what the hell is it? King of the Cage, which I believe John Jones came through King of the Cage. A uh, bunch of people came through King of the Cage. I'm not even going to list them all. They have like 400 events or something so far. They've been around since like the late 90s or something. Yeah, I've been to actually quite a few here in my hometown because Bill Mahood is from Prince George. He fought in the, in the, uh, UFC. So they used to, I, I'm assuming that he was one of the promoters that used to bring him in here. Because we went to quite a few of those King of the Cages. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, I mean, they travel all around. This actually, this is actually the second one they've had here this year, and there's a third one planned. So I think they're spending a little time in the Pittsburgh area. Nice. But yeah, I mean, so um, I'm I'm pretty excited to be still doing to be back so soon doing the show. Like, I bet you the listeners did not expect this. <laughs> no, I think a lot of them didn't even realize the show was up. I was noticing people today going, "Oh, you guys are back!" <laughs> like, well, it's been up for four days. So, but thanks for noticing. Um, yeah, man, completely. I was uh, a little surprised too that you were like, "Yeah, you you free next week?" I'm like, "Yeah, man." Thursdays are good. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, just trying to uh, trek through these 96 films. I figured this this episode would be perfect for that. You know, kill two birds with one stone. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Alrighty. Um, should we get into some news? Yeah, yeah let's do the damn thing. So uh, news this week, nothing too eventful, but there is a little bit of stuff. Uh, Annabelle 2 has now started uh, filming, has a May 19th. Uh, 2017 release date 
I know you're super psyched about that mode filming <laughs> in Los Angeles. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's happening. That's that's the new, that's part of the news. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> Annabelle too. My God. I mean, you know, I'm I'm even surprised that like you know it's not already out. Yeah, because yeah. it made so much money, which is That's, shocking. Yeah, I'm like, I'm surprised after the first weekend, they were like, hey, let's sign up for part two and we'll have it out in, you know, six months. And no, it's crazy. The so. Conjuring really is, since we're not going to talk about the Annabelle news, we could at least, I guess I could at least add this to the conversation. The Conjuring really is becoming a juggernaut of a horror franchise because, first of all, the first Conjuring did great. The second Conjuring, from what I heard, was doing pretty good. I haven't checked the numbers in a while. Uh, then you had Annabelle, which made $257 million worldwide. Uh, and now they're announced Annabelle 2. Uh, I don't think they've announced The Conjuring th- th- 3 yet, but I, I'm sure it's not far behind. And mm-hmm. they they kind of announced this uh, spinoff movie called The Nun, which is – which honestly, I'm going to be honest. Like that, that – that part in the movie like the nun stuff like was really really creepy so uh, that actually could could be really neat um if they do that and that that franchise is it's kind of an odd one right now because do you can would you consider annabelle part of the conjuring franchise at this point um i mean i guess if you consider spinoffs to be part of a franchise yeah i mean Can i guess it's relate- another example of a spinoff um movie wow there's got to be one out there <laughs> there's got to be something wow put me on the spot um something on the well, same well how about lines. we put the listener on listeners on the spot guys if you can think of a film series that that's spun off into another film series preferably horror uh then let us know but yeah, yeah, so do you consider it though like part of the franchise or is it not? Um, I don't know, it's a tough question, man. Like I said, I mean it's related to it, but is it officially part of it? I mean, I guess I would... Zombie, right? Zombie is the one. You got Romero's Dead series and then you got Zombie, which is sort of a spin-off series almost. Yeah, it pretty much actually is. I mean, it's like it's that unofficial sequel to Zombie kind of thing. Yeah, but so... Return of the Living Dead is kind of a spin-off too. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. It's weird. It's weird. It's, just about to say that. <laughs> it doesn't happen often. But I'm looking here on the Wikipedia page, Moods, and you got The Conjuring 2013, The Conjuring 2 2016. Uh, the, James Wan has said that there could be many more Conjuring films uh, because the Warrens have so many stories, which honestly is part of it because it's based on like these real stories kind of. The, 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 the Warren people in real life had all these hauntings, so – you got endless stories there, which is it, which really makes it interesting. So, and then also on the Wikipedia page, spinoff films: Annabelle, Annabelle Two, and Nun, The Nun. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it, it has them all listed down in the box office gross. I mean, I mean, this is turning out to be a juggernaut of. Uh, it's almost like what Marvel does with their superhero films, where it's like these shared universe things. I think that might be the future of sequels, kind of, where they're more spinoffs, or they're in the same world. I don't know. What do you think about that? Is this the new thing? We're seeing it unfold right now, and we're not even aware of it yet? Is this happening before our eyes? Is this the future? I mean, I guess it's kind of... I mean, would you consider, like, Freddy vs. Jason to be kind of 
that spinoff and Alien versus Predator, kind of. But Alien vs. Predator. I mean, that's kind of it's it's more mashing up it's, things. It's more connecting two universes instead yeah. of spinning off into a separate universe. It, it's yeah. it's an interesting thought, but if you get a sequel to Annabelle and then this nun comes out and it does really well and you get a sequel to that and you get a third Conjuring film and it, within that third Conjuring film, they have something that is like a cl- with a clown and then the clown gets a movie. like And, and then it just <laughs> eventually comes full circle. Yeah. This <laughs> and then they just kind of meet up huge. in like the ninth film. <laughs> and the then they connect it with the Insidious franchise because it's Juan did the, <laughs> the Insidious <laughs> franchise too. And then they connect it to the Fast and the Furious franchise since oh, Juan did Jesus. that too. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I, I could see this really happening though. I mean, it, it, as long as the films are successful, especially within that, you know, that franchise quote unquote kind of thing, right? Um, why not? I mean, I guess we could c- consider them to be part of it. I mean, yeah. wh- what are your thoughts? I mean, do you actually consider the Annabelle films to be part of the Conjuring see, franchise? I haven't, straight, seen, straight up? I haven't seen the Annabelle films, but, um, if the Conjuring franchise, I, I mean, yeah. Like it's kind of like I kind of do because it's it's a shared continuity like it, it exists within one story kind of right the story of the Warrens and and the stories around the Warrens yeah so I mean if, if you look at it like if, that for sure if yeah. all three of these films were called the Warren or the Warrens and then it subtitled Annabelle subtitled The Conjuring subtitled The Conjuring two I mean it would be if one franchise it's just based on name now that it's not I guess. Uh-huh. Um, and do you consider films that are clearly like not even sequel if you consider films that are not even sequels franchise films simply because they have the same name like Return of the Living Dead 4 and 5 for example they have the same name and they're considered in the franchise based on that same name even though they have nothing to do with the originals really other than it's zombies and and there's other cases of that But we album. see that all the time in film I mean I mean Really, I, there's a lot of franchises that just kind of have. I mean, look at the Amityville franchise. I mean, it all kind of relates to that, but I mean, the stories are always so different, though, right? Yeah. I mean, look well, at look at even Amityville Eight. I mean, it's just you know they got this haunted. Well, Children of the Corn dogs. is another one, right? It's almost yeah. in name only uh, at, at a certain point in those films. But isn't there a case to be argued that these films are? actually more of sequels or con- they're more connected than those films so shouldn't it technically be a franchise almost because like it's like the it's it's arguable that these films have more in common with each other than say like the last four children of the corn films mm-hmm. and those are all sequels so is it is the mm-hmm. sequel is it does the meaning of a sequel in name only or is it does it also expand to actual what the films what's going well it's really hard to get away from the in name only two thing i mean we see this so often we see it so often within franchises but we just automatically associate that with a franchise i don't really think people try to think too hard about it or look too deep into the mythology of what exactly the story is that you're you know relating the the name of the film to the franchise with that makes any sense but uh you know what i'm saying but um i think it does though I yeah, I, I think it's a franchise. I think at this yeah. point, it's the it's the Conjuring franchise, or it's you know whatever you want to call it. It could be the the Warrens franchise or the James Wan franchise, even though he didn't do all of them, he produced a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, dude, when you're talking a between the three films that came out, a sixty six point five million dollar budget combined of the three films, The Conjuring, Annabelle, and The Conjuring Two. And it made eight hundred and twenty-one million dollars worldwide. 
that's a juggernaut right there, man. That is a juggernaut. (laughs) Uh, The Conjuring 2 is up to 90 million in North America right now, which has passed Annabelle, which was at 84 million in North America. Killed it. Annabelle killed it in other territories, though. Um, Annabelle did great in other territories. Conjuring doing not as well as Annabelle did in other territories, but it beat it in North America. So. Uh, pretty, pretty, pretty damn interesting. And so far, you have The Conjuring, uh, with an 86% review on Rotten Tomatoes and a 79 for The Conjuring 2. Those are, those are both pretty high. Annabelle had a 29% review rating, um, which is awful. But, you know, it's, it's 25? 25? 29. Wow, it was actually that high? That's crazy. Wow. But yeah, so this, this, this franchise is doing big things right now. But that movie made a shitload of money for having such a low rating. Like, I mean, I mean, that doesn't really surprise me with some of those films, but wow. Yeah. Interesting enough, Annabelle had a much smaller budget than The Conjuring and The Conjuring 2. The first Conjuring had a $20 million budget. The second Conjuring had a $40 million budget. And Annabelle had a $6.5 million budget. Really? Yeah, so huh. you're making eighty four million in North America off of a six point five million dollar well, budget. Of course. I mean, yeah, but I mean, <laughs> I, mean I, I honestly think though, just you know, uh, yeah, they made a lot of money and stuff, but the final product and word of mouth is really what I think they got to worry about here. I, I, I mean, to be honest, I'm not overly too curious with it just after seeing the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what? Just, I'll tell you though, moods. Every single person that I've I've come in contact with who's not a horror film loves Annabelle. Every single person. I think that is, you know, what we call that's a horror film for non horror fans. Yeah, definitely. So, unfortunately, I mean, I would, I really wanted to like it, man, especially because I went, I know, because we went and defended it so hard. I know. (laughs) Always wanted to like it. It was funny too, because I had a good argument with my wife about that film too, because, you know, we're in the car driving home and I was just telling her everything I didn't like, but I told her some things I liked and she, she, she she loved it. Exactly. It's a non horror fans horror film. Yeah, exactly. Right. She tries to watch films with me, but half the time she just, She's got like the attention span of a goldfish, so <laughs> you know, it's like always got to be working and doing something. But yeah, yeah, I know exactly, you know, where you're, where you're coming from with the the non horror fan thing. It 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 just it appeals, man, because it's just so it's just so there. It's just so easy to get. You know, I don't know what it is about those films, man. Yeah, I well, don't really. I, I guess that it comes down to. Annabelle 2 slated for May 19th of 2017. Surprised they didn't go in October with that one based on the previous one did so well in October. But The Conjuring, Annabelle, The Forecoming Nun, 22 Shots says it's a franchise. So it's a franchise. Let's move on. (laughs) We have George motherfucking A. Romero, the godfather of zombies as we know them, is being awarded a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. The 76-year-old director in George Romero is so finally cool. getting his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Uh, he's brought us stuff like Night of the Living Dead, Day of the Dead, Dawn of the Dead, and let's not talk about other dead films besides maybe Land. But he also did like The Crazies and Creep Show, uh, Martin, Creep Show. A uh, lot of lot of stuff. He did a lot of work in TV. I like Bruiser, man. Bruiser is always one of those films that everyone like. No one ever seems to mention when they talk about Romero. But you know, I like Bruiser, man. It, the well, dark half. I haven't seen it, so that's why I never mention it. 
Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I still think we need to do our Romero director spotlight one day with his non-dead films and his yeah. dead films. <laughs> I know. Didn't oh. we? Have, didn't we have one play? It was like what? what it wasn't the crazies though. It was like um, I think Bruiser was one of them. Bruiser. Martin. I think Monkey Shines, Martin, or The Crazies, Bruiser. I can't remember. It was like two. It was like The Crazies, Martin, and another 70s one. Maybe it was Monkey Shines. And then uh, Bruiser, uh, and then some of his notes. Fr- I, yeah, I can't I, remember. I, I'm pretty sure it wasn't The Crazies because I think we were going to do like a an OG versus remake on The Crazies one time. Mm-hmm. I think that is what was planned. But I think a Romero non-dead thing would be fun to do actually. Then we could talk about Bruiser. We could let everyone know how cool it is. Okay. <laughs> we'll get to that one day. Uh, so yeah, that's really, really cool that, uh, Mr. Romero's getting his star. I, I don't know much about the Walk of Fame. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of horror contributors who have it, but uh, I don't see, I don't see very many more fitting than the guy who created the motherfucking zombie. That's right. The created modern, the zombie. The modern zombie. The modern zombie. But let's face it, it's a, it's the zombie. That's the one we know and love. Well, yeah. not many people care about the old. Well, let's just put it this way: it's ones. the cooler zombie. It's not the voodoo hypnotized person zombie. It's the flesh eating, gnarly, don't give a fuck reaction. George Romero created the goddamn Walking Dead, essentially. He did. Through, he did. Through he really like, did. Secondhandness. <laughs> Thank yep. George Romero for the Walking Dead. Damn it! Now, <laughs> uh, so after that, we have um little. Uh, film and th- the only reason I picked this up is because uh, I just thought it sounded cool. But apparently, there's a film called The Ice Cream Truck that's uh, that's uh, completed filming. Um, it is a campy horror film, but I figured you know I like the original campy ice cream killer movie, which is The Ice Cream Man, Clint Howard at his finest. Yeah, the classic Ice Cream Man. I I loved the Ice Cream Man growing up. I, it actually scared me when I when I first seen it back in the early nineties, uh, mid nineties on Monster Vision, <laughs> and you know watching it now when he pulls out like a giant ice cream cone and puts a head on it, it's impossible to be scared by it. But <laughs> that movie is weird, and I've always been a fan of that movie. It's really, really Me too, cool. man. It's it's one of the highlights of the mid-90s, even though it's, like, not serious at all. It's so damn just fun. This is like so strange the other night. I think it was Monday night. I was I went outside. My driver was doing something. I heard the ice cream truck. He was, like, driving by the street, and I'm like, Oh, fuck that. It was like 7.30 at night. I'm like, are most kids that are getting ice cream already in fucking bed right now? I'm and you like, thought what? of Clint Howard killing I always think of, I always think of that movie when I when I see those ice cream trucks, exactly. man. Exactly. And, you know, something funny that – I it, honestly, I think it might – no, I'd never put it up on the website, but I'll put it up soon. Uh, there's an episode of Monster Vision that features the ice cream man. I actually have a copy of it. Um, I could throw it up on the website and – it's a really, really cool episode because Clint Howard actually stops by and talks to Joe Bob Briggs, and he he gives a little insight into the film. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. And one of the things that um, he says is uh, that when he was <laughs> when he would drive the set in the morning, the whole way he would scream so he'd get his voice all gravelly for the for shooting. So he would drive five people with his windows open. And he'd just be screaming like a madman. He already looks weird because he's Clint fucking Howard. And yeah, that's great. We're looking at him like he's a goddamn lunatic. 
This is uh, why we need like an awesome special edition Blu-ray of right? Ice Cream Man. Right? I think Lionsgate owns it. Because you know sure. Clint Howard would be happier than hell to retell those stories or even grab that audio and put that or that whole thing as a special feature on there or something like that. Yeah, that'd be, yeah. That'd be fucking cool, man. But even having new insight to Clint Howard, man, would be fucking great, man. Yeah, he's one of those guys that you – I bet you just has great stories, man because he's just – he's a really quirky dude. Yeah. And I, I bet you just can recall the weirdest shit. And I bet you, like, it's totally contrived, though, I bet you at times, too. <laughs> you know? He'll start telling the story. Just like, I don't really know if that actually happened. But who cares? We're going to roll with it. You know? Just oddball Clint Howard stuff. So. Yeah. Uh, so um, that film has wrapped shooting. And it's supposed to go complete post-production uh, this year. It <laughs> seems like a campy little horror film. Uh, after that, we have two Lava, two Lanchula. That's right, a sequel to Mike Mendez's Lava Lanchula. This one is not directed <laughs> by Mike Mendez, but is uh, pretty ludicrous <laughs> in its name of Two Lava, Two Lanchula. <laughs> two Lava, Two Lanchula. <laughs> <laughs> the fucking stupidest title ever. <laughs> title is so stupid. Oh, man. Oh. Get, get moods. If for, for a million dollars, we're playing Who Wants to Be a Millionaire right now. All right. On what network? Well, two lava, two lanchilla air on August sixth. What network would that be? Uh, on the Sci-Fi Network. You, you want a million dollars, dude? Sci-Fi it is, yes, man. Sci-Fi for the sci-fi. win. What man? <laughs> it's so funny too. I was just watching Matt's last Top Ten Tuesday video, and he did a Top Ten Spider video, and of course he had Lava Lancha on there. <laughs> That's what got me laughing. I'm like, really? They're making a sequel? But it only makes sense because don't they make sequels to all their goddamn fucking movies on there? Uh, pretty much. They really do, man. It seems like they have sequels to everything on sci-fi. It's crazy. But yeah. he actually he said it's actually pretty good. But then again, it is Matt, though, right? You know, the king of the – he loves the shitty creature features. Yeah, but. I can't I, – I cannot take his recommendations seriously. Have to take, <laughs> no, take them with a grain of salt. Me and Matt share this love for these terrible sci-fi bullshit. But I wish I could get more of them though because I, I've been wanting to see that one. But it's like way too expensive. I'm like, you're going to charge like $20 for Lavalanche on DVD here? You do realize that's what it costs to make the damn film. That's ridiculous. Right? Yeah, I know. So I, I don't get to see a lot of them because we just don't have sci-fi anymore. It's weird. But – so yeah. uh, after that, we have Day of the Dead remake. Um, this was announced probably a year or two ago. Uh, apparently, filming has begun. On uh, now that I get, oh, actually, this is the second Day of the Dead remake. I forgot about the first one. Yeah, there's Day of the Dead remake, and then they made a sequel to the remake, and now this is a full blown remake again. Was the sequel a sequel to the remake? I always thought it was a sequel to the original. I think the sequel was. I can't even fucking remember. Was it the sequel to the remake or the sequel to the original? Was it supposed to be? Rec- I can't remember the whole story. I haven't seen it in such a long time. But you know what? You're probably right. It probably is a, a sequel to the original. Because uh, it, really, it might in, not in, be. in hindsight, in hindsight here, who the hell would make a sequel to that shitty remake? Actually, you know what, dude? Because I remember now. It is a sequel to the original. It came out in 2005. And mm. then the remake came out in 2008, of course, starring Nick Cannon. Uh, directed by Steve Miner, oddly enough. Um, from of so course Friday Day of the 13th Dead Two. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because the original one was, or the Day of the Dead Two was put out by Anchor Bay back in those days, wasn't it? I think. I think, I, I Day think of they the dropped Dead that Two was owned by the same people who made Creep Show Three. Somehow yeah. they got the rights to these like Romero films. <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> and made these shitty sequels. Poor Romero, poor Romero with all his rights problems in his career, right? 
you know, yeah. fuck, that's terrible. Um, yeah, okay, that makes that makes a little more sense. I knew there was something there, so it did come up before. Makes more sense. So this yeah. is like a bonafide remake of the original Day of the Dead. Yeah, yeah, crazy. So they're remaking this again. Hopefully, it's like on a better budget with better actors. And well, let's try to get a better story this time. I, I think it's being done by the people who did Chainsaw 3D. Honestly. <clears throat> Okay, well, I guess we we know the type of production value. We're going to have a very contrived story in it then, and uh, I'm just fucking... If you're curious, Moods, to the company that did the original Day of the Dead 2, uh, it's the same company that put out such classics as Ghoulies Go to College, Horror 102 Endgame, and the Day of the Dead remake. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck? Okay, there's the quality. Yeah. Yeah. They made a sequel... (laughs) Horror, horror 102 Endgame to a film that was not even good to begin with. Have you ever seen Horror 101 Moods? I have seen Horror 101 and it was so fucking bad. Terrible. So bad. I have like that, a college kid film. I have that fucking double feature, man. The Anchor Bay double feature. And I could never bring myself to watch a sequel because the first one was so horrendous. I was like, why did they even put that out? You know, and this is like original Anchor Bay too when they were putting out really good stuff. Well, guess what, Moots? I know I have Horror 101 on VHS. Damn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Have it on VHS. I've watched Well, just put it, it this way. Times. Just put it this way, man. Say <laughs> after the show and you're still kind of buzzing from doing it, you're not tired and stuff, put in Horror 101. It'll put you right to sleep. There you go. Guaranteed. Uh, yeah. So that Better than company, sleeping pill. That company gets no credit. That is Taurus Entertainment. (laughs) Yeah. They actually did do some good work back in the day, though. Like, they distributed Sleepaway Camp and, uh, some, some, like, Two Evil Eyes, uh, theatrically back in, back in the, uh, the olden days. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. So, with that said, let's move on here from Day of the Dead remake. Uh, we have Friday the 13th and Tales from the Dark Side. These are both the TV series are getting complete series releases again because there is complete series releases. And I know up in Canada, you mentioned that those things were really hard to get. Is that correct? Uh, not Tales from the Dark Side. It was more the Friday the 13th were really hard. I mean, for some odd reason, every the seasons individually were always $30, $40. Mm. So I don't know what was up with that. Tales from the Dark Side, no, you could get for you know probably normal prices. So okay, Tales from the Dark Side, um, the seasons, the individual seasons were about ten bucks a piece for a long time. I don't know what they were now, and yeah. the box, the complete series was about forty dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, Friday the Thirteenth, um, it seemed to be that each of the individual releases were about twenty dollars a piece, and you can get the the complete series for about 30 I've seen it at. Um, but it was expensive for a long time. Uh, it, it's almost like, seems like this is the third release of it because I swear there was like a cardboard version. And then there was like the plastic case versions, uh, in now this, this new release. So they're just, they're starting to re-release like all these older shows. Like they just re-released American Gothic, didn't they? Yeah. yeah. Recently. And, so uh, that- I think they did thriller too. Oh, they did Thriller also. Yeah, because oh, cool. I seen it at Walmart the other day. And uh, this is being done by CBS Home Entertainment and Paramount Home Media Distri- Distribution. I, I actually got a press release on this, which I was extremely confused about because I've never been part of CBS Home Entertainment's press releases. So, <laughs> Isn't that <laughs> weird when that happens? Because I've gotten press releases from places too, and I'm like, what is going on? 
Yeah, I'm like, and I didn't. Yeah, I tell you, dude, the press release was like the most pitiful press release I've ever seen in my life. It literally says CBS Home Entertainment and Paramount home media distribution are releasing friday the 13th the complete series and tales from the dark side the complete series on september 6th 6th and then all it says is friday the 13th and it gives a synopsis of the show and it says tales from the dark side and a synopsis of the show and that's what? it there's no images no anything and i actually contacted the the people and i was like is this dvd only is it blu-ray do you have you know po- po- cover art do you have what yeah the- these discs are going to look like do you have promotional stills do you have anything and she was so like strange, oh I'm, uh, I'm sorry right it is dvd well, that was a, only and that was a we, well put together press release wasn't yeah it? <laughs> she said it is dvd only and right now we do not have any uh promotional stills or uh you know the the uh high high res images for the release at this time i'll get back to you at a future date so um, it's happening and it's happening in September, but it seems like they're building it from the damn ground up because they don't have anything. <laughs> so weird. So weird. On a plus uh, note, back- I'm hoping I get some review copies for those because that would yeah. be sick. So if they're releasing the whole series, are they putting it into one package or is it just being released separately in like a box set type deal? Oh, but I believe both series will be individual on their own like complete series releases okay yeah. so getting back to that thriller box it how did they re-release that because season one. Oh, they just re- oh they release it like that yeah it was season one. Oh, okay cool yeah. cool so uh after that um scream factory made a what they consider big announcement uh that they're <laughs> releasing um carrie on blu-ray in um this is sort of the future of what they're doing now where they they're releasing these it's a 40th anniversary edition and if you order it directly from their site you get um the alternate slipcover and both posters uh from the original slipcover and the alternate now now honest to god what are your thoughts on this do you think that's inviting enough to you know order from them no for the for the because i don't even like the first poster well, that, that's the thing. I mean, obviously the art has to be good enough, but even if it was like fantastic and stuff, like, you know, the second slip cover, uh, okay, the posters, I, I know people are big fans of the posters and stuff, but with this, the, what, what's the whole second slip cover thing about? To be um, honest. You know what like, it is, dude? I know exactly what the second slip cover thing is about. Okay. This is, this is, this is pure. It's actually smart. No, this is, this is a hundred percent. All right. This is what happened. Um, it is my opinion, but it is right. It is a hundred percent right. So (laughs) what had happened was ever since Scream Factory first came about, you go over to their Facebook page and they have sales or, uh, you know, the, the, as, as releases come out, they'll be like, Hey, I got this release and it didn't have a slipcover. Hey, I got this release and it didn't have a slipcover. Hey, are these, these, is this sale? Are these going to have slipcovers? Oh, Scream Factory has to release a full blown statement that says, uh, you are guaranteed a slipcover when you order through us for the first 90 days of release. And we can say with great, uh, you know, feeling that if, if you order from somewhere else within the first 90 days, you will have, uh, a slipcover. It's not guaranteed, but it's, it's pretty probable, uh, because we don't stop printing the slipcovers until 90 days after, you know, whatever. And then yeah. you always hear during their sales, hey, will these have slipcovers? Hey, um, I didn't get a slipcover. How can I get a slipcover? You look on eBay. People are selling the slipcovers. 
they know that there's a market for the slipcovers. They have seen based on our questions, based on the fans' questions about the slipcovers that know that they, it made them know like, oh, people actually give a shit about this cardboard. And me personally, I've literally like bought the more expensive version off eBay because there's a picture and it has the slipcover on it. Um, mm-hmm. when the other ones just was a stock image and I wouldn't know if it had a slipcover. It's stupid fandom nonsense that they figured out a way to monetize. They're the first company to figure out a way to monetize the slipcover. And they've done it based on seeing, awareness, paying attention to what's happening in the landscape that people actually care about them. Because at the end of the day, it is retarded to care that much about a piece of cardboard. <laughs> to, to, yeah. to, now, the bonus <clears throat> poster, that's actually like a selling point. Like if you want an, a limited to 300 poster, like – the extra five dollars is actually makes sense. You know, it's not you're yeah. getting two posters now. Like I've always liked their poster idea, um, but this slipcover one is dumb. But it, it, it makes sense because they're 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 it's smart. They're making money off of it. The Return of Living Dead one sold out in like fucking forty eight. It was like it's a one day. It sold yeah, out it was in like, like twelve it was hours like or something. Yeah, one day. And I bought it myself. I have the two slipcovers, which by the way they did package it like appropriately and i have the two posters um i thought it was going to be a one-time thing why the fuck i thought that i have no (laughs) idea but apparently they're probably going to do this with a lot of collector's editions moving forward i think that was probably a test though you know we'll test this out with return of living dead see how well how well it goes and then when it sold out in 12 hours they're like well let's you know obviously try this again and obviously carrie hasn't sold out yet as far as i know but uh it probably will yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, there you go. You're into it. I they're selling two slip covers to a Jew. I mean, this is amazing. Yeah, had had the first poster been a little better, I would have considered buying it because I do love Carrie. Like, it's become one of my top ten favorite horror films of all time. I do own a Blu-ray of Carrie, but I will buy the second version because uh, I, I'm interested in any special features that might be added. Maybe they do a Horace Hollowed Grounds on it. Instantly gets me excited. This is a 4K scan, not the yeah. 2K scan from the previous version, which I think was the 2K scan. Um, three hours of interviews and featurettes, uh, tons of additional features. Uh, you know, I, I mean, Carrie is Stephen King's first you know, adaptation to film. It's, it's an amazing movie. It's one of the most influential films of all time, according to us. Uh, it's it's an amazing movie. I love Carrie. I was not disappointed with this announcement other than the fact that they hyped it because it's like, oh, it's Carrie. Yeah, okay, you got Carrie. We, you said that you could have Carrie before. It's no surprise that you got Carrie now. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But I'm down. Like why not put like another – you know version of carry out like there's been a million already like it's one of those films like jaws that are going to keep getting additions or like the evil dead like people love those movies and this one has apparently a better scan so what the hell ever you know like it's it's not the most interesting thing in the world but i don't yeah i think i think that's why people are so upset though it's just they're kind of getting tired of the releases that are getting you know getting that treatment over and over again you know yeah i mean you know, there's the people out there that'll buy like a thousand different copies of the Evil Dead and stuff. Maybe there's people out there that'll buy, you know, a thousand different copies of, of Carrie also. Um, I think it's just because it's getting, it seems like it's getting so far away. And, you know, they do keep making statements that like all their cult titles and stuff that they're, they're apparently not selling. This is what they're telling us. 
you know, and these are the titles that do sell. And I understand from a business st- business standpoint that, you know, you do have to subsidize your, you know, what you got. I mean, really, these are the ones that are selling. Why not keep putting them out? I mean, but at the end of the day, it, you but the can't... thing is, Moods, they're not not putting out the cult ones either. And that's what annoys me so much about that argument is people are saying, like, you have to, why can't you do both? Why do you have to do one or the <clears> other? Like, <throat> I don't understand that. That never made sense to me. Well, just the, just the latest, uh, you know, whoever was on the Screen Factory page answering for Screen Factory, um, they, you know, they listed off all those titles and they're like, well, these are the type, you know, these are the, t- um, the type of titles that are more likely going to be coming out now because they're the ones that sell. These ones didn't sell. And, you know, we tried and tried and tried with the cult titles, but they're not really selling too much, which, you know, it doesn't really make a lot of sense because you get all these people that are just, you know, they're wanting and they're voicing their opinions that they want these titles, but they're not selling. It's like everyone's bitching but not buying. You know, I mean, the fans have to do their part, too. The fans have to do their part. That's what I'm saying. The fans have to do their part, too. I mean, if we're going to sit there and scream that we want this obscure title from the 80s, you better be buying the fucking thing because these guys are coming at at us and saying straight up, these are the titles that didn't sell well. And if you look at them, they're pretty much all the cult titles. So it is kind of annoying. You know, I understand it from both point of views, from the fan and from a business aspect also. But, you know, at the same time for me, you know, I'm just like, you know, okay, cool. I mean, you you can look at this fact. This is fact. You can go over to Scream Factories facebook page and when they announce some obscure title that i've never heard of and you look at the comments on it there's a there's a handful of hardcores out there they're like oh sweet like i haven't seen this since the 80s you see when they announce something like carrie there's 600 fucking comments talking about it It, Mm -hmm. it's not that hard to realize what's happening however i will say one thing well yeah i I am no longer i used to collect every scream factory not doing it anymore i gave it up the reason is is because I one of the things is they are the the reason it some people do have a good argument with this. This is fact. They say that the cult films aren't selling. Okay, that's true, but that's also what well, my argument is that Scream Factory has done nothing to help them sell. I, I I left a long comment on their Facebook page because I noticed a few things. One. When Scream Factory first came around, the, everybody was super psyched. Everybody was so high on them. Nobody, they couldn't do wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, they they announced. I remember Halloween, Halloween two or Halloween two, Halloween three, uh, Terror Train, the Fun House, the Island, Death Valley, uh, and then we got into like the you know Phantasm and uh, you know they announced a couple titles right away. Um, two of what I would consider the cult titles were the Island and Death Valley. They have said before that those titles have sold well. Another one that was in the top, the first 20, The Town That Dreaded Sundown. Another one that was in the first 20, The Video Dead and Terrorvision. All of those titles sold really well. Mm -hmm. One thing that I've noticed is that was back at a time where when they would announce a non-collector's edition, they would announce a non-main big title. It was at like... $15. Now it's $21, $22, the same price as the collector's edition. On top of that, they're putting out four times the amount of films. They put out two a month back then. And so you're, you're literally making people decide, okay, should I go with the cult one or should I go with the mainstream one? Well, yeah, it's like it's like the, almost... the one that's that's that got the slipcover and the collector's edition, and all the special features over because I can only afford so much. Now, if it was only mm-hmm. two films being released or if it was only t- 15 dollars 
like I'm not like do you be- it, the idea that species three and four in a double feature was twenty two dollars on Amazon on pre order is ludicrous like and not even on pre order on release you know you know what I'm saying like it's mm. it's so they are hurting themselves so that the, make yeah. no mistake about it this is partially their fault too but at the end of the day. Big titles like Carrier are always going to sell. That's not going to change. And Zach brings up this point time and time again. It drives me crazy. He says, well, well, Synapse and Blue Underground and Grindhouse Releasings, they, 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 they make a living selling these cult titles. Zach, I'm sorry, bro, but, but the comparing those little companies to Shout Factory, who has hundreds and hundreds of employees compared to, you know, three guys that are running the entire company, that they have to bring in like crazy revenue. Scream Factory is a sub company of Shout Factory. The, the like Blue Underground doesn't have these like sub sub companies, entire company under it. Now they started Shout Select. Like it is this giant thing. They have their own streaming website. You know, like these 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 guys need to bring in way more money than than you know the Synapse of the of the world, and. That's why they're the, – the, the, when they see these titles not making – like, yeah, the, if, if that title – I bet you any of these titles – They kind of flooded the market. Synapse, that, yeah, that would be a good day for Synapse. But it's not for Scream Factory or Shout Factory because they need more than that. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, it, what, what are you going to do? I mean that that's – like we'll get into it later with Synapse and the shenanigans they're pulling. But Scream Factory has known to pull their damn shenanigans too. And I think this slipcover thing is stupid. But, but they're kind of like, you know, like you said, they are their worst enemy right now because they've kind of flooded the market too with – I mean is there really a point in releasing eight, nine titles a month? You know, and like you said, ultimately it is making people choose and they're probably going to start buying these lesser ones, which happens to be what these IFC titles now are probably the more cheaper ones, right? I mean, and why? Because they're in Walmarts too? Yeah, yeah, the IFCs are all in Walmart. It's every exactly every week they're there. Every week why, they're in Walmart. This is why people are not buying these cult titles anymore. Because they see these ones, that, these are readily available, you know, in your Walmarts. They're cheaper. And uh, that's why they're selling more. Because honestly, I mean, it like really you said, is a different you're, market. You're not collecting. Though. I know, I know, but at the same time, there is certain people, like even yourself, you've given up collecting all the Screen Factor titles. Totally makes sense because they're fucking flooding you. Mm-hmm. Right I get, titles. I, yeah. They're putting out way too much stuff, dude, and this is the problem. And this is one of the biggest but reasons. I'm a rare why person as well, though. I'm not, the normal people don't collect them all. <clears throat> like, honestly, how many of us do we know that do? Three? Three people yeah. in, a, in the entire circle of people we know that yeah. have tried to collect them all? There's there's not that many people who do, but it doesn't help. It doesn't help sell the cult ones. But maybe they're fine Shout with that. Maybe such a the big company. This is this is the problem. Like you said, there's hundreds of employees, and this is exactly what they've done to themselves. They keep growing. They have another company, Select, you know, and with more. They're making a, their own films. People. They just produced a goddamn film. Is Synapse producing a film? You Probably. Know what I'm saying like <laughs> it's a, it's, a, well, that's, it's that's what I'm saying. Completely you know, different. That's another reason why the prices are going up too, because their company's getting bigger too. They have to keep, they have to keep above sea level. They have to keep up here. They can't they go have anywhere. They stay in the green. They can't go in that's, the red. And that's, that's the thing. That's why this, this deal with IFC is probably the best thing for them because they sell a shit ton in Walmarts and stuff. And it's, at the end of the day, there's multiple reasons why they're not selling, but I think it's because they're putting out way too much stuff and these are just too readily available for the average person. They don't give a shit about these other titles and people are fed up. I mean, 
honestly, dude, I'm ready to throw in the fucking towel too. I'm getting I, I real- felt it from you too. And I think that, listen, guys, this is at the, at the end of the day, this is what we have to realize. This is, this is not our little, um, you know, horror homie anymore. This is, this is not a company where it's, it's focused on the horror fan and the cult fan. It's, it's now become more of a mainstream company uh the the the, the I fact think direct is, i think people don't want them. to admit that these titles sell they don't want to admit that these ifc titles are doing big numbers because they yeah. want to believe like uh, they want a reason to say like you should be releasing these cult titles like and they want to hold on to this fantasy world that doesn't exist like yeah. there's always going to be the company that that makes a name for itself and picks up these titles like a grindhouse releasing if you ask the owner that, hey, could you, uh, would you rather have Shout Factory or keep doing what you're doing? I guarantee you they would want to be, be owning Shout Factory instead of Grindhouse releasing. Um, and it's just, you know, th- and that's why some of these companies die off and, and don't succeed. And that's why so many of them go the way of Shout Factory. Look at Anchor Bay. Anchor Bay is the original model of what Shout Factory is doing now. They started with all the cults and, the, and, and Anchor Bay did a really great job with all the special features and all the collector's editions and things. And what happened to Anchor Bay? They made a lot of money and, and they used moved. those hardcore fans <laughs> to get into the, you know, into the non horror fans that'll buy movies in Walmart. Yeah, yeah exactly. And that's, it's, just, what, that's it's a stepping stone. It's a stepping stone yeah. I mean, it's, it's sad, but it, it's, it's factual. Um, and if they're going to, I'm, you know what? I'm just honestly happy that they are still releasing shit that I, that I do care about, even though there's a lot of shit that I don't mm. care about, like some of the yeah. IFC titles and, and things. And we're not saying they're all bad because they're not like a lot of them are good actually. Yeah. But you know, it's, I like Carrie, I, so I'm cool with there being a 4k transfer. I'll, I might not pick it up day one, but you know, I'll grab it eventually and I'll grab all the cool weird ones like Hellhole that I'm, I'm interested in too. At the end of the day, man, this is all, this is all conversation because, I mean, essentially what it's come down to is that Screen Factory at one time didn't really have that big direct, um, competition until Arrow really started stepping up their game. And now Arrow is just, you know, to most people is the best there is right now, you know, on all levels and stuff. And, you know, I mean, it's just that conversation piece now. Arrow, Screen Factory kind of thing. I mean, most people are probably going Arrow. Uh, because they limit their releases, and I think they do a really great job with them and stuff. And it's just, it is what it is now. Yeah, but people right? start hating Arrow too. Just wait for it, because one, as they grow, they'll start doing things that that people are well, ha- unfans it, of, or they'll start picking happened. up titles. But they- it already happened. It already happened because Arrow started out. I mean, Arrow's already gone through the transition, man. They they have like three different fucking sub labels to Arrow too. Um, but Arrow started out as releasing just strictly cult films too. I mean, with their DVDs and stuff, it, they were in uh, conjunction with cult cinema video, whatever the fuck it was. And they were, that's all they were doing. They were customizing their artworks and it was just, it was really, it was kind of this, you know, this fresh new cult look at these films and stuff. And what was it last year, year and a half ago, they announced, they said, we're really going to cut back on cult films. And this hate already passed, you know, we're going to cut back yeah, on just, it's going to be bigger. Stuff. And, you know, and then they, they kind of started up with the new, uh, new sub labels like Arrow, uh, Drome. Oh, I mean, what well, that's, that's still called stuff, but you know what I'm, uh, the Arrow, the one where they release like the old classic films and stuff. The point is they have sub labels and stuff, but they don't release as much horror. They're starting to do it again. You know, they seem to be picking up a little bit more these days and some pretty crazy titles to be honest, but, uh, who knows? I, I don't really know. They kind of go back and forth with Arrow too. So yeah, yeah I mean, Arrow, Arrow does, a fantastic job 
hundred percent. Like they, their releases are good. Like they, they like they, they put more time and effort into them than I think most companies. Like you can see by the way their special features are done and, and just the way that everything looks and, and their, the way they announce they, I don't know. It just seems more like high quality. Uh, one thing that I don't like about Arrow until recently is their cover art, which that they have been improving on greatly. Um, and you know, Arrow video does release a lot of films that like I'm completely uninterested in once I start watching them. Like, like bloodbath sucked. Like the, those movies are not good. And they're, they're, they're a lot worse than than people like because it's like arrow i swear people like won't be admit like <laughs> that release is not very good um especially for you know being a box set or whatever it's an interesting historical thing that's that's 100 percent. but those those movies are not are not entertaining so like, well, it, it has it has its market, the... man, because I've I've seen so many people say how much they love Bloodbath and stuff, and I'm not going to name specific names and stuff. Well, but, I heard, uh... I've heard Tom uh, from the Horrors Ball mention it, and I was like, did I watch the same movie as him? Because he was like talking. Oh about no, it Tom ta- Tom has talked that movie up for years. Huh. So, I, I remember him uh, talking about that. A few it years honestly, back. it honestly, when I first read that though, I was like, maybe I need to watch that shit again because I like felt like I missed out. I missed something that you know I, I watched it wrong or something, but. Uh, you know, like, okay, for example, man, like some of these films that I get from Arrow and I watch, like Contamination or something, like, yeah, they're, they're kind of, they're like, they're, it's cool that it got a release. And so these are not amazing movies though. Like, and you know, sometimes you'll get some from them, but that they are like these cult films, like is that people, the, the cool thing about the cult films is people haven't seen them and people like Zach and people like you who have seen so many movies, like, yeah, of course you guys are going to get most excited for shit you haven't seen. But to me, I get most excited for fucking movies that are like amazing movies, like these, like mm. Carrie and shit, like Carrie's an amazing movie. Uh, and even and yeah, you guys have been around for many more years than me. And you, you've fucking seen Carrie nineteen hundred times, and you have probably it's, all, three it's or four just all how you now. how you look at it though too, right? Like for me, you know, like yeah, I want to see something that is a little more obscure that I don't have in my collection because you know at the end of the day, sometimes I'm like, okay, well, I have a DVD of Carrie, I have a Blu-ray of Carrie. I'm like, do I need this extra ultra? You know, like I am a collector, but at the end of the day, it's like it's still the no, film. You one hundred percent don't need it, and I know you're gonna buy it, which is. I don't know. It, I, you know, I, I only own the one edition of Carrie, but uh, you know, and even me, I'm if it wasn't if it wasn't in my so lovable films like top ten, I probably wouldn't get it. But I don't know, man. I'm just trying to say, like, I, sometimes sometimes I feel like the cult fan is is a little ridiculous with with the amount that they defend the the cult life because it's. It's these some of these cult films are not good movies. Like they're interesting and they're curious, but but you guys sometimes defend them like they're fucking these like juggernaut films. When they they like contamination, for example, is just a it's an okay movie. It's kind of no, it's it, no, it's, it's not. Contamination sucks, man. <laughs> but it's it's a bad good movie, man. Like I mean, yeah. I mean, Contamination was put out by Blue Underground. Like we've seen that thing a million times. Like you know, I mean, even when Contamination was announced, I was like, okay, you know, um, I didn't even I didn't even get it at first. And as a matter of fact, I got a copy without even, without a fucking slipcover. 
<laughs> so that just goes to show you that I didn't even get that one right away. But um, but yeah, I know what you're saying, man. But it's all it's all in taste though too, right? It's like I know people that don't like giallos, and I'm just like, what? Like that that blows my fucking mind. So well, I mean, the giallos the day, are just like there's some there's some that are really good, right? There's some that are really good. But there's a lot of them that are dumb and they're kind of fun. There's a lot of really decent ones, man. Yeah, I, I haven't seen a lot of them, but just based on the ones that I've seen, you know, like I, I don't know, man. It, it's it is all in taste. It's all about what what you like personally. I I just feel like sometimes the people who are in love with all, all everything cult, it's more of like a. I mean, that could be. The I way don't you're know, man. It's it's too. like a fucking. I, I I it annoys me sometimes because I'm like I'm like if you like something mainstream, you you're like oh like like of course you like Carrie. Like why? When is it bad to like something that's really good? And sometimes I'll get this shit and I'll be like, these guys are. These guys are so diehard cult underground. Like it, it, it's the same thing with like a lot of you know. But those guys are the. But those are the too. same guys that you know. They, I mean, they have a whole collection of you know all the mainstream films too. But they just won't admit to themselves that they like them just as much. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, it, it's, it, it is what it is, right? Like, I mean, they probably like, have all these like, films. It's the same thing with the people who you know only like underground like gore films or something or like the the hard box thing you know it's like that mentality where it's like it's like can't we just like everything that's cool <laughs> well it's funny because i i think that some people kind of get a little misled by i remember like remember the old extreme horror community on yeah YouTube like that too man but it was funny because a lot of those guys and again i'm not going to sit here and drop names but um you know, those, a lot of those guys really enjoyed a lot of mainstream films and stuff like that. Like, I know for a fact they do, right? And, you know, it's, but they got the, they were labeled as, oh, this is what they like, extreme, because that's what they were talking about at the time. That's what they were specifically into at that present moment. So I think it's the way you look at it and, you know, kind of the timing of it too. I mean, yeah, I'll sit here and defend films at the end of the day, but I'll, I'll tell you that. I fucking love the Goonies. I don't know why I said yeah, the Goonies. Yeah, yeah, and that's, that's why I actually fucking love you, dude, is because, like, like at least you fucking do be liking, like, the, like, you like the shit, like, you like all aspects, you know, not just, like, it's just the mentality. Like, I was, I'm, by the way, I'm talking about a lot of the people that I was reading on Scream Factory's actual post, not anybody from our, I nope. swear to God, the people that post on that, on that uh, Facebook page are, they, they sit there all day just to argue. Dude, I want to slap David Stein so hard like i just want to kill that guy does he not work because he's <laughs> on there constantly every time someone makes a comment his name is right underneath there replying to it like yeah, dude, dude what the fuck man so bad it's, it's so, so bad it's so it's like the most browsy like thing i've ever seen in my life i'm surprised screen factory hasn't stepped in or whoever runs that the, the facebook no, they page like it man they, he gets screeners from them and shit too God damn, man. Like, really? Like, he pisses off a lot of people on there, though. Yeah. And Screen Factory just a lot. They're just like, oh, whatever. Yeah. Like, I know, I, I've even heard people say, like, I don't even, I don't even read the stuff on Screen Factory's page anymore because of that guy. And I'm like, I don't blame you. He's kind of annoying. <laughs> yeah. 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 But I mean, dude, I don't know. Rant over. Uh, <laughs> just, I was reading those posts, man, those people on there, and it was just driving me crazy. I was like, I was like, these people are like do or die cult. Like, like, they, like there can be no other. <laughs> like, I'm just like, what the fuck? And they're probably going fourteen on, year olds too. Fourteen year olds. Yeah, just pretend. <laughs> I don't know. Man. Uh, anyway, yeah. so they fucking announced Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, uh, yep. That, Carrie. That's uh, that is the news. 
Oh, that was the last piece of news? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, okay, well, how many pieces was there? We talked about like four things. There's like six, I think. That's crazy. That's so funny. All right, so um, I think what we're going to do, I think we do have one voicemail, but what we're going to do is we're going to actually just kind of bypass it this week until we get more. Um, yep, going to save it. So, so yeah, we're just going to save it till next week. So hopefully we get, or till next show, and hopefully we get some more uh, voicemails or questions or whatnot. Yeah, absolutely. Because, um, you know, we, that's a regular part of the show. And usually we like to have, you know, probably at least three before we do them. We don't, we don't, we, we don't really always do just like one. Um, yeah. So yeah, if you want to leave a voicemail, you can do so at 724-426-6665. Yeah. 6665. Yeah. All right. So. We do have a knowledge segment for this week, and JP kind of gave a little hidden prelude to it a little bit there. Uh, yeah, so this week... I already, like, wasted all my rant in me. God, this, there's got to be a little more... Oh, man. Okay. Um, so you said there's got to be a little more. <laughs> there's There's got to be. Like, this is fucking... This is actually kind of funny. So... Basically, what the knowledge segment is this week is we're going to talk about Synapse releasing Tenebrae uh, on the regular format. Um, and, of course, this comes after the fact them, of them saying that they had no plans to release Tenebrae other than the Steelbook edition. And I know I, I don't recall what episode it was, but I said bullshit on here. And I said, for sure, they're going to fucking do this and they're going to fuck all the fans and alienate them to death. And I think this is exactly what they're doing. People are like, are you, everyone's, I think a little so, everyone's so up in arms right now, they're just kind of laughing about it. And I'm going, told you so. <laughs> so like, like what the fuck is going on with this, man? Is this just a new thing that they're doing going, you know, you know, maybe we'll try to trick the fans or like me, or is it a sales thing? Is Tenebrae not selling that well? And they're like, no, oh, man, that's, we should, not, we, that's not what it is, man. The one thing I did find interesting about this release is that when demons, steelbooks came out the special features were exclusive to that and then they dropped the regular standard editions and it didn't have the features so basically what that became was the steelbook became the premium product they dropped the the regular releases which for is the, fine don't really That's care, which fine. is fine now this is a different story because they they straight up told people that they're not going to release these standard editions and then they do you know, way after the fact. And I'm like, and like, is, is there a specific timing in this? Because I don't, it just seemed odd to me that I completely was like, no, they're going to fucking, they're going to totally release these, man. Yeah. So Synapse films, um, often loved by many, um, including yourself moods. Yeah. I never, I don't think they ever really did anything that pissed people off too bad thus far. So that they announced Tenebrae. Uh, well, actually, they announced a bunch of Argento films. Oh, this is going back a long time now. They, Phenomena they, and Suspiria. Yes, and Tenebrae. And everybody was waiting for them for a long time. And they gave updates here and there. And it did seem like Tenebrae was getting close to be announced. And I even remember telling Moods, like, I can't wait for this because I want to get as many Argento films on Blu-ray as I can. Uh, that's, you know, that's, I kind of do that with all the big directors. Like I'll, if the, if there's a Blu-ray release, like I'll get that for like all the Carpenters, Craven, stuff like that. Um, just cause I want to see these people's work in, in high quality. 
And I was so excited for it because I've never seen any of these three films. And they finally, the day came where they announced Tenebrae. And what had happened was they said it's going to be limited to what, 3,000? Yeah. 3,000 steelbook editions of Tenebrae exclusive to Synapse.com and Grindhouse, what would, no, uh, Diabolic. Diabolic DVD, uh, dot com. Okay, that that's all right. It's limited. That scares me a little bit. Uh, yeah. So what's the price tag on that? What was it? Sixty <laughs> bucks. It was fifty, uh, sixty, forty nine on Diabol. I think it was forty five on the website. Okay, uh, plus the five dollar shipping, fifty bucks. Um, because you have to include that in, in your initial price, definitely. Um, because if it's exclusive to there, you cannot get it without paying that shipping. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So that's yeah. just part of the price at that point. And so yeah. that's not the problem that it that it's limited so much. It, it is kind of the problem because I, I hate limited things. Uh, had they said it's limited, but we're going to put out another edition, a lesser edition, a non-premium edition, if you will, sometime down the line, um, then that would be another thing. But what had happened was they first they were saying – there's no plans at this time to release another version of Tenebrae in the near future. And and then one post and I should have dug it up. Even screenshots of this, it was even posted after. One they they answered this question a bunch of times. At this time, we're not having plans to do another version. At this time, we do not have any plans. Bunch of times they said that. But one specific time, Synapse Films themselves said there will not be another version. I remember that. Yep. And to me, that's that's when we came back and 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 I and said bullshit again, and we bullshit. said okay, so so maybe it changes things a little bit. If there's not going to be another version, then they're not honey dicking us into buying this one, and then also release another version and sell more of those. <laughs> and you know, so they said not even not even six months ago, it wasn't even six months ago that they said that, right? Mm-hmm. And they yep. already have another edition ready to go. Um, it's lies. It's it's purely lies. Now, does it make sense for for a money standpoint? Is it is it going to get you more money in the end doing it this way? Yes, of course it is. But yeah. there's a certain point where it becomes uh, morally wrong uh, because what happened was they released this still book and they say it's only it's only going to be this still book. So they sell a lot of them. Because people are like, yo, we need this thing. Okay. Um, I don't think that they sold as many as they said, but I also do think they sold a lot of them. I would probably say there's a, there was probably a couple hundred left as of right now, in my yeah. opinion, based on how many people I've seen get it and how excited people were for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then recently they moved it off of the website and said, uh, guys, we're so low in quantity that you can no longer get it off the website. You have to call and order it. Okay, first of all, that makes absolutely 100% no sense. Uh, isn't anybody, it the exact same fucking thing? Have they you're done still, that? You're, <laughs> still, you're still dealing with you. <laughs> your listen, website. Listen. Just fucking, okay, your there's fault. so many reasons why that's stupid. One, uh, that they've never sense. done it before. Yeah. All right? So two, if you're not worried – and why, why would you be worried about it, right? If, if it's out of print and there are no more, you can't sell it on your site because it, let's say your argument is that, oh, if we sell it on our site – and they buy more than we have left, 
because we keep, for some reason can't have a fucking stocking thing on our website uh, to let us know how many we have in stock, even though I every know. fucking website, including our own, if we want to sell something, has that option. Uh, yeah, I'm talking about the 22 shots of moods and horror, uh, dot com. <laughs> like we can do that. We can create a stock, uh, for the amount of items we have to sell. So let's just say that your website's in like built in the 1900s and you can't do that. Well then why aren't you worried about any of your other titles selling out and not having enough to, to fulfill order orders? Because it's bullshit. It's a tactic to get people to buy up the what they thought was. Of course it is. What they thought was, okay, let's say we have – let's just – for example, we have 500 left. This is hypothetical. Okay, if we can get these 500 gone real quick, that would be pretty cool. So let's say they're so low amounts that we're, we had to take it off the site. You have to call in. And let's just hope that 500 people <laughs> think they're the like last three people. It's like, oh, shit, I got one. I was the, like three of us got this and I was one of them. Meanwhile, like 500 people actually called in to get one, you know, and then it didn't go as planned and maybe only 300 people called in. <clears throat> so now they're standing there stupid. It's been like a month and you can still get it. Did they sell out? Is it out now or is it still available? I don't think it's sold out. I th- yeah, I think it's still available. I haven't seen them say it's sold out. So you're telling me that it was so low because so low to me makes it seem like it's, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, maybe 30, maybe 50 at the most, right? And you're yeah. telling me you haven't sold 50 of them in like a month or two months since you posted that? It's ridiculous. There was more than that. I do think that it's sold way more than the Demons copies. And why did it sell more? Well, honestly – I think that it does have a lot to do with the way that the tactic that they used, which was saying that they're not going to release another version. You and everybody who listened to us talk about it knew that this was going to fucking happen. And Mm -hmm. that's what pisses me off because it's like you, I understand if they kept saying at this time, well then it's like, okay, they're bullshitting us, but, but you know, they're not lying. They're, they're bullshitting us, but they're not, they're bullshitting to us, but they're not lying. When you flat out say, say, there will not be another version, and in a six month time span, there's another fucking version? Are you kidding me? You just flat out lied. Yeah, you that's, that, from where I come from, us. man, that's a straight up lie. Yeah. You know, if it happened like two years down the road, I'd be like, okay, okay, that's fine. You know, like it's been a while. Like you, you get, kept but it just, it just makes you, it just makes you look at the situation and go, they knew right from the start that they were going to release a standard Ex- because hundred percent, hundred percent. They knew it. They knew exactly, that they were going to, it's, it's too close in time. Okay. You released Tenebrae over here and now they just announced a release in standard. They knew from day one that this was coming they knew from, and I fucking they called knew it from before it's shady. Day Fucking business. It's shady goddamn business, and we called their asses out, and I fucking knew this was going to happen, man. There's so did you. Lying, we, we knew it. Is, lying is involved in, in pushing things. It always is. Like, if, if you're, if you're Do these from- guys forget that when they when they answer a question online that it's just – it's saved there, man. People are taking screenshots. It's, you know, it's for this reference. Yeah, but, but – the, They're like, totally caught every fucking time. Lying is – a hundred percent needed to run a business, but there's there's certain ways to do it, like exaggerating or or misguiding. Well, not not like that, dude. But but what I'm saying is, if you say not at this time, well, th- that's that's not necessarily a lie, right? That's yeah, yeah, that's, exactly. That's a the way it is. To do it's it. all in how you. Word Everybody's it. gonna say something from the dime bag dealer who says that his his weeds fire to the. Uh, company that sells the nutrition shakes that only have 19 bananas instead of 20 in them. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, it, 
there's always going to be a little truth exaggerating or just avoiding a question in general, like shooing it off by saying not at this time. That's basically saying like, okay, there is, but you know, you're not going to tell us, which is fine. That's, that's, that's legit business practice. Like every PR person in the world will do that. Yeah. When you come out and say there will not be another version and it happens right within like it's fucking the other version hasn't even sold out yet and you announced it that's bullshit it's it's a low blow on a positive note though i'm happy because i will buy this new version even though i shouldn't because it just uh, over principle i i knew that this was gonna happen well the bonus thing and quite literally the bonus is that you're just getting the same disc from the steelbook yeah it's not like the demons where you're getting no features soundtrack and the still book, which yeah. honestly, I don't care about this still book. The soundtrack would be nice, but I could live without it. My bird with the crystal plumage Blu-ray doesn't have the soundtrack. Then I'm yeah, but like, you're still getting the, you're still getting the documentary and things like that. So yeah. But, yeah. I mean, it should be mad or the people that bought that still book. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They got duped into it, man. There's 3000 copies and that's all there's ever going to be from synapse films. And what sucks, no. dude is like, the, like you can't talk to these people like like these people should have to come out and answer that they should be on this show right now explaining themselves and admitting that that's what they did because yeah. if they you know, what if they came out and flat out said like it was a business tactic our company was hurting we needed to make some buck we spent a lot of money on these transfers we had to make it successful and so so we lied a little bit like i would be like but what do, right, mean, Jim, what do you mean? What do you mean? Lied a little bit? Like <laughs> lying is still lying if it's a little bit or a lot. You I mean, know? but I, if you they still, were honest st- about them lying, I would be, I would respect it a little bit more than them just fucking. Dude, if they came out and just said, "Yeah, man, sorry guys, we were totally lying. We had plans to do this the whole time," I'd be like, "Holy fuck, dude, that's pretty noble." <laughs> yeah, but I mean, <laughs> you can laugh it off, but it, it's like, I mean, that's in a perfect world. That's never going to happen, you know. And yeah, but another thing, dude, like, but <laughs> like. People like Synapse didn't take they did take a lot of shit from our group page, but they did not get nearly the amount of shit that like Scream Factory gets when they announce Carrie. And that's once again shows you how much bigger of a company Scream Factory and Shout Factory is than Synapse. Oh, for, of course. But um, I'm not cool with this. But, you know, this is the one time this is I'm, I'm willing to forgive and forget if they do this with Suspiria, if they do this with Phenomena. I will fucking boycott Synapse like I do fucking Bill from Code Red. Straight up. I ain't even playing. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's shady, man. Shady. But, I mean, it's 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 almost so ridiculous. I'm laughing about it still. Oh, know. You know, it's just like I, I fucking knew this was going to – when I saw – I woke up in the morning. I saw the post and I was like – I started laughing out loud to myself. I'm like, oh, there it is. Yep. Of course. And I was like, yeah. Can't wait for this one to blow up. Read <laughs> all the comments, man. I don't know how many people from our page bought that steel book, but I know there was a couple, and it's like shit. I wanted to hear from them, brothers. How do you feel about this? <laughs> how do you get? Uh, how do you feel about getting duped into buying a piece of metal? <laughs> Brandon bought it. Brandon did buy it. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that lonely Jew, Brandon. Jesus. He even called me while we were recording tonight. Did he? <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. So, so that's, uh, that's knowledge. We just dropped it. Bunch of bullshit. It is, man. And basically what this comes down to is we called it. We're right. 
Of course we're right. It wrong. was like I, I mean I would love to say that we're genius and we came up with something crazy idea, but honestly, like every fucking person could see that that's what they were doing, and it that's what makes well, no, it more had, infuriating we, that they that they lied to us because they lied to our face when we knew that they were doing that, and they thought and in order for them to think we would believe it, they would think that we, they would have to think that we're stupid, which makes me way more mad that they think that we were stupid. Exactly. I mean, we've come up with lots of brilliant ideas on this show, man. You know, the purge on a boat, <laughs> uh, the uh, the digital ring. Maybe that thing was fucking awesome. <laughs> that that one. I'm I'm never gonna let those those die, man. Those are brilliant. Those are great. <laughs> but, anyways, Synapse, we're pissed off. So, you guys can go fuck yourselves right now. Straight up. And that's knowledge. All right. So, getting into the uh, the corners report. From Rue Morgue Magazine, Weird Stats and Morbid Facts. Um, I literally just put no effort into this line. I grabbed the first Rue Morgue <laughs> and I was like reading through it. I'm like, I know for a fact I've read a couple of these out before. I'm like, shit, which one do I do? So I like completely forgot to grab one. So, but I'm not letting it die because I like doing these. They're, they're always funny to me and kind of stupid at the same time, right? But they are facts. That's what makes them fun. Is it not? You don't have to answer that, JP. You sleeping? Okay. Yep. All right. A contemporary Australian urban legend has it that if a driver accelerates to 111 miles per hour on Lemon Tree Passage Road between Newcastle and Sydney, they will find themselves pursued by a motorcycle riding ghost, which what is alleged to appear, fuck? which is alleged to appear as a bright white light in the driver's rearview mirror. <laughs> ridiculous that's Dude, the fucking so... cops pulling you over yeah that's exactly what i fucking thought when i read this i'm like are you sure you're you not know what it is over? some some little precinct in sydney is like le- the, their numbers are down they got to get their quota up and they're like <laughs> they're like hey let's write into this magazine and tell people about this legend so they speed through our town <laughs> so we can pull them over and write them tickets uh, it just makes me want to go to australia and just do that just hit 111 and be like okay hey, where that where's that motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I just, yeah, you know, you know how it is. Uh, mm. But anyways, guys, that is mood swings and getting into the, uh, what we watch portion of the show, which isn't really that it's more segments this week. Yep. Just segments. So just segments this week. So I'll go first, homie. All right, guys, this time I'm going to be doing a horror one Oh one. Welcome to Horror 101. Of course, this is where I review a documentary uh, horror-related-ish. This one is. Uh, it's called The Fear of 13 from the year 2015. This is a documentary that's on Netflix. Now, it is not a horror documentary per se, uh, but I thought it was fitting with this episode since it is about a serial killer. Uh, and I guess not serial killer, but a murderer. Uh, a convicted murderer who has spent 23 years on death row tells his story. Uh, so this one starts out with a, a very um, peculiar man. He tells a story in which when he first got sent to you know maximum security prison death row, uh, how basically everything that was happening was just happening. And he couldn't talk. He couldn't say anything because they were real strict on the amount of volume like he wasn't allowed to talk essentially and um all of a sudden he starts telling a story about a black two black males who 
uh, were like lovers and they had been together from outside of prison. The one got sent to prison. The other one committed crimes just so he'd be with him and about how they were splitting them up and they were, they started singing this song when it was all supposed to be quiet and shit. And this is just, it's coming out of nowhere. You're like, what the fuck is this about? Like, why is he telling this random story from like the beginning of the movie? Um, and then that's when you realize like, oh, this is going to be very artsy. This is going to be an artsy documentary. Uh, and he proceeds to tell you all these different stories that has, has happened to him in sort of an odd order. It's not, it's not a linear timeline like, oh, I started out this way and then this happened to me and then I got into this and then I did this and that's when I first spent time in jail and that's when I got tried for murder and stuff. It's not in that order. It's kind of all over the place, but it makes you more interested in the story. And I will tell you right now, guys, this shit is beautiful. Like this is, this is an, an interesting story. Um, from a guy who spent 23 years on death row and you do start to question because he did have a lot of interesting things happen in his case first of all he he got in trouble a lot when he was younger uh, he stole cars he was a car thief in the 70s he got in trouble for that um, he basically uh, escaped prison before uh, and he got in trouble for that he you know, this it, it's the timeline on the escape thing is kind of weird. I don't know where it actually fits into the story, but um, and then you learn a little bit more about his early child life, and by the end of it, you're just like, holy shit! Like I didn't even expect that ending, um, <laughs> which is kind of interesting for a documentary, right? <laughs> and two, uh, there's there's this one core thing that happens to him that does still feel like it's kind of out of nowhere when he tells the story. Yet, they've been teasing it the entire time, which is kind of interesting, the, the way they kind of played that out. Very interesting the way that the story unfolds. I don't want to tell you guys anything because it's kind of amazing. Uh, really, really good documentary and, you know, not so much horror, but there is, you know, a, a murder and rape of a woman in which is, you know, talked about uh, – a killer you know it's it's not really horror but it's more horror than gummo so i'm talking about it uh, <laughs> the fear of 13 that actually has a meaning by the way um it's it's a super interesting film but it's all told by narrations from the guy who's in in prison it's sitting down he's telling the story and he's so eloquent like this guy couldn't read when he went to prison and he learned how to read in prison, like kind of taught himself. And he like amassed this amazing vocabulary and way of talking from reading books for 23 years because that's all he did. And he is a really good storyteller, guys, like really good. Um, I give this thing a nine out of ten. Very solid. Check it out. Wow. It's on Netflix. Crazy. It sounds uh... – Sounds really cool, man. Sounds really cool. It really is. You had me intrigued when you said, well, I wasn't expecting that ending. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. That's I wasn't. Interesting. Dale Palmer, director of the X-rated films Hot Summer in the City, Erotic Adventures of Candy, Candy Goes to Hollywood, and coming soon, The Longest Foot, starring John Holmes. Hi, I'm Gail Palmer. 
I've been hired by Stallion Releasing Company to supervise the editing of this new X-rated film, The Italian Stallion, with Sylvester Stallone in the starring role as Stud. All right, guys. So my Italian Stallion for the week is uh, coming from 1972. Uh, it's called uh, Luciferina Demon Lover or also The Devil's Lover. Um, I think it's titled under IMDb as The Devil's Lover, uh, released by Maya Communications. Um, this is kind of like one of those low-grade um, – I don't know what you want to say, like satanic type films. I, don't, I wouldn't even go as far to even say that, really. This is kind of a strange one. Um, basically, it's about these three girls uh, led by this girl named uh, Helga, uh, played by uh, Rose Alba Neri. She's in tons of Italian films, man. Just sexy, sexy. Um, if you've watched as many as Italian films, I have, you'll probably recognize her in quite a few films, especially some sleazy Jess Franco stuff. Um, but basically they go to this castle that was built like in the 16th century and they want to find out um, if the rumors are true about this castle. Apparently the urban legend is with this castle is that uh, it's actually the house of where the devil actually lives kind of thing. So they want to kind of go there and do some research and things like that. Does so, Ty West live there? Does Ty West live there? <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe. Uh, but anyway, so they go to this house and they ask the people there if they could, you know, have some hospitality and actually stay the night and, you know, kind of do some things. And of course they accept, you know, that the girls, they can stay there and stuff. And, um, basically what happens is Helga's, you know, she's in the castle and she comes across this painting of this person that looks identical to her. And, you know, she goes down for her sleep or whatever. And then she kind of falls into this deep sleep where it takes her back into the times of, you know, when this thing was built, like in back into the 16th century where your story kind of develops. And, you know, um, you know, she's supposed to be getting married to this uh, to this guy. And what happens is this guy looks in through the window and sees her in her wedding gown. And I guess, you know, in, you know, myth or whatever in legend, uh, if someone sees uh, a bride in her, in her dress before she, uh, gets married, um, or I should say a male, if he sees her, um, you know, it's, it's bad luck. It's really, really bad luck. But it turns out this person that's looking in her window actually was the devil. Um, and then you got this other really kind of strange subplot going on in the film too, with one of her friends that she showed up to the castle with. Uh, is plotting to kill her because she loves the the to be husband. It's got this really weird kind of subplot that just really makes no sense. And then all these kind of bizarre scenes happen with these really strange orgies and things like that. And um, yeah, so what happens is the devil wants he wants Helga to kill her husband on their day of the wedding so he can actually take her. That's kind of the point of why he peeks in on her before she's getting married. So that is the setup to the film. Uh, this is a really short film. It only runs about 77 minutes and it's just got this really, really snail pacing to it. It's just really fucking boring, man. Like there's really nothing happening. Like you get this huge setup and then really nothing develops. Like you get all this kind of, crazy scenes with these uh, these characters that are just talking all this crazy gibberish and stuff it's just it's one of those films where you're like okay waiting for something to happen okay where's the kills where's the sex where's the boobs it, it, you know oddly enough man there's like no blood no gore uh, there's really not even a lot of sex and, and nudity in this one, even though there's like a, a really kind of random orgy in this too. It's really strange. It's an eerie film. I really like the sets or the, you know, the locations used. They used like a real castle and stuff like that. It was kind of cool. And it does have this really strange early, early seventies, uh, satanic Italian feel to it. 
Um, but they just don't capitalize on it. I think the acting in this is really terrible too. Um, but it's just the narrative. It's just all over the place. Like they, they want to throw in not only the one subplot with her friend that wants to kill her, but they have another subplot and they're not really going anywhere. It's just really slowly paced and really boring. And, uh, this one was dreadful to watch. It was terrible. It was a really, really terrible film. Um, not really, I can't really take any way, anything away from this one except for Rosalba Nera. She's just amazing looking. That was about it. And you do get to see her boobs later on in the film, which is probably the highlight of the film in itself. Um, the music was kind of strange too in this. It was really kind of off-putting at times. Um, and you can tell that the director just really didn't have a lot of uh, experience and I actually looked him up and this was like a second film. And you can tell the editing is really bad too. And, uh, the worst thing about this though, was watching my communications release of it. There was all these digital disasters going on in the film. Like it would start farting and, you know, having all these like digital imperfections in the, in the like VHS transfer that they use. I think that happens too. When you, when you transfer from VHS to digital, um, you do get those imperfections sometimes, but it would like, it would show up spastically <laughs> throughout the, throughout the 77 minutes. Of this. It was terrible. Um, so if I had to rate this one, I'm going to give it a three out of 10. It was a really bad movie. Um, don't recommend this one at all. So yeah, I don't like all my, my Italian cult films now, do I? Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. was there. It was bad. It was really, really fucking bad, man. Like you should have seen the narrative. This thing was like all over the place. I'm just like, are you, am I going to get some kills? And then you get this like ridiculous scene. Where I might as well say it, man, towards the end of the film where this guy is coming to Helga's rescue or whatever. And, uh, well, n- not even, it's actually the guy that he's, he's kind of teamed up with the girl that's plotting to kill him. Anyways, he has like the sword fight with the devil and it's just ridiculous. The effects that they're using, they're using like that, uh, that old seventies effect where they just kind of take the person out of the image and then put him somewhere else, you know, whatever the fuck you want to call it. <laughs> it's- so bad though it's so laughable i was i was having no fun with this movie i can't even say i was having fun i was having no fun it is an italian it's subtitled and the dialogue is just atrocious i think it was just i don't even think it was probably translated properly it's so bad but but yeah not a good one three out of ten (laughs) all right man so uh i guess it's that time huh it is that time. It is that time for the featured reviews of episode 83. And we are doing what we said off the top of the show, man. Serial killers this week. Henry so, Lee Lucas. G- Henry Lee Lucas and Jeremy. Or Jer- I just called you Jeremy. JP had this bright idea of doing uh, the Henry films one and two because, you know, of course, we're preparing for this 1996 show and got to kill two birds with one stone with one stone with the second film, which is awesome. Right. That worked out. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Totally cool. Um, but yeah, so of course we're doing the classic, um, well, you know, the classic film. Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer from 1986, directed by John McNaughton. Now, it's interesting too, because I think we talked about this once before about John McNaughton, how he became like a master of horror. Yeah, very weird. John McNaughton, he did The Burrower, which Jeremy's a fan of. Yeah. And then like, Nothing. nothing. <laughs> he did nothing until Masters of Horror. So he did this film, The Borrower, which was five years later, and then he did his uh, Heckle's Tale, which is a really cool episode in uh, season yeah, one. Yeah, it's Masters actually of- my second favorite episode next to uh, the classic that is Jennifer. I, uh, I would say Heckle's Tale was probably the most surprising episode too, because oh, it's geez, one of those ones. So good. <laughs> yeah, it, it's one of those ones you kind of go into going, I don't know if I can like this, but then it turns out to be way better than it is. But yeah, very strange that he became a master of horror, and I'm doing the quotations with my fingers right now. 
Um, Off I don't know. One real movie and like maybe two, I guess. I, I know it's so strange. Right? But if Jalen uh, Landis can do it, anybody can do it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I guess we'll uh, we'll get into the synopsis of this one. And um, yeah, thoughts on the movie? Uh, synopsis <laughs> first, right? <laughs> There is actually really no synopsis to this. I mean, if, if you know what, uh, um, anything to do with Henry Lee Lucas, man, you know that basically he was a drifter. Um, he would go around and I mean, there's so many different stories about Henry Lee Lucas that you don't really know which ones are true because he kind of fabricated and kind of downplayed himself in real life by telling a lot of stories and taking claim for a lot of murders that didn't happen and stuff. So, you know, these films are basically, you know, it, they're, they're, fiction and nonfiction at the same time kind of thing so would, would you uh, so this i mean it's it's not very biographical no it's it's not at all man this is kind of just a portrayal of the psyche of henry um henry portrait of a serial killer is really what it is it's just a picture of a serial killer and you know essentially it's a good title he, yeah and it really is because this film doesn't really have a narrative to it it's kind of strange um, but in this sense, it works so fucking good. It's brilliant how they did this film. Um, because it, it, it's just, it's so great, man. <laughs> it's so great. I think it's so great how they did it because they didn't have to, they didn't really have to put in this, you know, the structured narrative to, to showcase, you know, to get into the mind of a serial killer. They, they portrayed it in so many different ways. Um, yeah, your thoughts on this one, man. I think right from the opening scenes in this film are just f- like phenomenal, man. Phenomenal. Um, it's really interesting how, uh, how this film was kind of how they did the opening scenes though. I mean, the music's great, but they show a lot of carnage in this film and they don't show any of the kills at first. Did, did you find that a little interesting how they did that? They just show like this carnage and it's basically just a trail of Henry, you know, because he was a drifter, you know that. And, you know, this kind of show this body here and this body there and stuff. And then it just kind of, kind of gets into it. I think that's like the, it's really effective, man. I think it's really effective. So, uh, one thing that I was talking to my friend Carly and I didn't get to watch this movie full the first time. I literally watched like the first five minutes and then stopped. But I told her right away, Whenever I see, I've seen other movies do this too, but it's something I always like where it's just this, this, it cuts to Henry, it cuts to, it, you, it zooms out on a dead body and then, you know, just a destroyed dead body laying in the woods and then it cuts to Henry or something and it cuts back to another dead body and then, you know, it cuts to another dead body and, and in all in different ways, all laying yep. in different positions or up against something. I've always liked that. I think it's almost Which- poetic. It is, it is poetic and it's actually, it, it's perfect how they did it too because, you know, they knew about Henry's psyche because they talk about it in the film too. Like, you know, you don't, you don't use the same gun twice. You kill people in different ways to throw off the cops, you know, and things like that. And I like how they showed that in the beginning of the film because they showed all these bodies dead in different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, it could have been, it could have been multiple killers, but that's right into his psyche because they actually bring that up in dialogue in the film. I think it was a, very very poetic way of opening up the film and it's just well it's so it's so gritty and it's like it just hammers you right away you're like holy fuck man there's all these bodies and all these different and they don't give you a location or a timeline so these could have been like different places because he was all over the place yeah I think well it's i mean they, they very much look like scary. different places just by the scenery but 
it, it does another thing too, which is but it the sets up our character because we see this brutally dead woman laying in the woods with blood and just, just, you know, dead as hell. And it cuts to Henry who is leaving a diner and he's just talking in regular conversation casually. And what that does right away is this, this filmmaking one-on-one guys is it sets up your character in a way that lets you know, okay, he's living normal, doing normal things while this brutal grizzly murder thing had happened. And, you know, but it's, it's just uh, normal life as usual for him. So right away, it just lets you know what kind of character you're dealing with. You know, the one that doesn't feel remorse for his actions. Uh, it does not affect him in a negative way to have killed people. And right away that, that, is your classic serial killer right there. The, oh man, it's just the sociopathic nature of them. And, and it, it sets it up in one scene in, well, not one scene, but in, in five minutes, you, you're exactly set up on, on what kind of character you're dealing with. I fucking love that scene, man. Like you get this montage of dead bodies and it just shows him having this casual conversation, paying for his cigarettes. And then he's kind of, he kind of walks out of the, out of the, I think it's, it's a store of the diner or whatever. And it cuts back and they're dead. And it just shows him, man. Like, I just, I think that's just, oh my God. And another thing it is instantly- you can do that scene differently too, where you show him in the scene with the bodies and you show that he just killed them. But that gives you, that portrays a different character right away. Yeah. That yeah. portrays like a, this shows brutal, how he like, has physical absolutely- murder, murderer with, you know, it, it, it paints more of a, um, like a Jason Voorhees or, or that type of character. Well, it shows that he has absolutely no, it shows that he's a sociopath. He has no emotion and he has no regard for any human life because it shows him having this casual conversation and then there's no reason to kill him. There's no, there's no hostility there whatsoever. He just kills because that's what he does. He's almost inhuman and it shows that and you get the picture right away. It's so fucking effective. It's like amazing. You know, I mean, he's a typical case where you can just kill somebody and uh, go on with his day. Kill at will, man. Yeah, so we're introduced to his uh, friend Otis um, and uh, his, Otis's sister uh, called – what's her name? Becky. Becky is her name, I believe, right? Yeah, Becky is her okay. name. It's funny too because she actually looks like Becky from Roseanne. <laughs> A little bit, <laughs> she huh? Com- she completely does, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so Becky is visiting Otis. Um, th- this film does a lot of things. And one of the things that it does is we find out later with Becky's character, there's a lot of suggestion into this film and a lot of previous things that we don't know about but are hinted about. Like, we know a little bit about what happened in Becky's previous – before the movie. We know a little bit into what Henry's previous before he – was in the movie you know the before what present day is happening but at the same time it's it's really unclear because there's it feels like there's some lies there and it feels like there's some untruths for sure with henry uh so well, of course of course there is man because there's a there's that really great scene i mean after of course um, becky gets to otis's house and stuff and uh um they i can't kind of introduced and they hang out yeah, a bit and they're they're, ha- they're, they're having living. dinner and stuff like that. And, you know, Otis goes off to do something and, uh, which leaves Becky and Henry to have a conversation at the table. And, you know, Otis had mentioned to Becky that, you know, don't say anything, but, uh, Henry killed his mother. 
And of course, you know, they start conversating Becky and Henry and Becky brings it up that, you know, oh man, I heard that you killed your mother. And then it goes into this really, really great scene where, you know, they're playing cards and he kind of tells the story about how he killed his mom. But, you know, his, his line of reality is so blurred from the truth that he can't even decide if he shot his mother or stabbed his mother or whatever, but it doesn't really fucking matter to him because all he knows is that he killed his mother. Yeah. Right? I love that. It's so effective. It really shows how he just doesn't really give a shit because generally if I killed my mother, I would know how I killed her because it would be well, very, it, but it, it would burn to my mind. But with him, he's like, I don't really fucking care, man. I just, I know what I did and you know, I know the end result. And it's that, just that's, so that's haunting, not the whole man. thing though. Man. It's because that also, it also can mean that he's lying, that he didn't kill his mother. Oh, of course. Of course. But, I mean, you know, we're looking at him as someone that has no regard for – we've already seen, you know, the remnants of, what, seven or eight bodies up into that point in the film that we know that he's directly responsible for because that's what they're alluding to. Mm-hmm. So – but the way I – the way I take that scene is that he's so – he's so distant from reality that he it's just – it doesn't even fucking matter to him. He's like, yeah, I, I shot her. I, I stabbed her or whatever. I mean, it just shows that he has no regard for life, that he doesn't even need to remember what he did. He doesn't care because he just, that's what he does. He's a drifter. He mm-hmm. kills because that's what makes who, who he is. I mean, there's points in the film. Where it's like, Hey man, you're having a bad time. Let's go out and do something. See, like it's also all about, though, the thr- it's all I, about killing. See, I, I kind of can see that as the way that it is too. But at the same time, I feel because he's a very intelligent person. He's very yeah. aware of what's happening. He's very controlling, manipulative. I almost think of it like the scene from the uh, the Dark Knight where the Joker keeps talking about, you want to know how I got these scars? And he tells a different story every time. Uh-huh. And it's it's for the purpose of, with Henry, of just being in control of the situation and, and sort of um, – I can see that too. I can see that. I just see it because knowing that he is a sociopath and he has no emotion, he's just like mm-hmm. he never but he's took the smarter time to than that too, though. But exactly. But I mean, it's just like you know, I did what I had to do, and she's dead. That's really what it comes down to. Yeah. And he kind of does. He's like, I shot her. No, no, that's right. Yeah, I stabbed her. You know, it's like whatever. I felt like but, I mean, he might I be lying. I don't know. I mean, I guess I read it differently than you. Yeah, I mean, the, I just see that they're just kind of digging into his his personal you know, his personal grasp on reality, which is he doesn't have one. He really does. He's just so eluded to the fact of there is reality that he's, he's so distant from it. He's just willing to go. Yeah. The the reason what I think is he was like, I don't know. Like I thought he might be playing her or something to get her. Cause she told him a story about like her past thing. And he told the story about his his bad parent with the mom being a whore and stuff, made him watch Mm -hmm. stuff, making her feel sympathetic. I kind of got that she – I don't know. I, I Maybe I'm wrong because I thought he slipped up when he said, oh, oh, that's right. I, I, I stabbed her because he fucked up his story because he was playing her or whatever. But yeah. I, I I guess – I mean you're – I guess you could be right. I, 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 I mean like I said, it could go either way. I mean I don't exactly know what the filmmakers had intent. But I've always thought that. It was just they're really just trying to get into the fact that he has – he has no emotional attachment to what happened in this past that he can't even fucking remember. Right. You know, generally like me and you, if something bad happened, we would remember probably mm-hmm. to a point, but he's just like, 
did I, I mean, someone said I shot her or did you stab her? Like even the fact that someone mentioned another way of killing her, he's like, yeah, that's probably what happened. Oh, because I, he's I understand so much. what you're saying. And you know, it, he's, it just, he's so of... disillusioned. He's so disillusioned that the way I see that conversation coming off, I'm just like, yeah, he's just telling her, he's like, whatever. You want to hear this? That's what I'm going to tell you. I, to me, I don't know if I like that though, because to me, it almost makes the character feel less smart. In a way. Well, I mean, the thing is, Henry wasn't really, I mean, he was smart in his own ways. Like, he was smart. I'm on talking the, about in, you know, this in the character, fact. though, Michael Rooker, not like the real Henry. Well, no, no, I mean, I mean, even in there, because even in the film, I mean, he goes on to talk about, you know, specific ways of killing people. I mean, it's just even being inventive, like, you know, pulling the car over and flagging someone down just to shoot them. He seems pretty smart in the, in his, like, manipulation and sort of his, um, yeah. control over Otis, for example. And he's, you know, the whole thing, like oh, you he's... never kill somebody with the same gun and things like that. And I'm like, okay, that's he, it, it's almost not it, like, I don't know. It's more of like a criminal, like compulsive, like serial killer thing, but it's, it's not in like a dumb way. Like, like, no, it's funny they're... because th- there is an interesting contrast there because there's one scene in the film where, um, you know, after they do one of the most famous, uh, scenes from the film where they film killing that family yeah. on the videotape there. Well, they make this really odd mistake of, um, Otis actually, he's got his head out the car and he breaks the camera and he fucking gets all pissed off and throws the camera out the window. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing about that scene is that the tape is in there, you know, and it doesn't really dawn on either of them that, you know, throwing the camera out with the tape with evidence like that could be a bad thing. But Henry at the same time during that scene has the frame of mind to not let Otis rape her because he's leaving evidence behind. You know, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's very strange at times. You know, I don't know if that's just the way, you know, well, I've seen it. Did we they know that the tape that was doing... in there though? Yeah. Well, of course it was. Why? Of course it was. I don't know. I, I mean, I guess it couldn't have been, but I mean, if like, you know, they could the have story... put a different tape in. Oh, for it sure. It wasn't in the sure. same scene, right? No, it definitely wasn't. But I mean, because I thought uh, the tape was at the house in the VHS player. Mm-hmm. But the, there actually is a, a scene in real life where they'd filmed uh, some killings and the tape got out somehow. And I'm assuming this is what they were alluding to. You know, the fact that they threw it away. You know, and this is Are actually you talking how... about the real story that they found a tape. Yeah, they actually I don't, filmed. I don't really know the. Uh, it's been so long since I've looked up anything about Henry. So that's why I was. That's why I was kind of alluding to the fact that you know they were just not really thinking twice about throwing the tape okay. out there because this is actually based on a real event. You know, I mean, obviously some of the things are fabricated in there, but yeah, yeah, you know, that was that was based off of something that really happened because this tape did eventually surface. You know, of of these yeah. murders and stuff. Yeah, I so, I, I didn't. See, I, when I was watching it, I didn't put that together. I just thought that the tape was still at the hotel or the house or whatever. But I do think, though, the overall, the overall, um, product of this film is, is really, it's a very menacing film. I mean, it's not very often you can watch a film that doesn't really have a structured narrative at all. This film is just about two characters that, you know, uh, are leading. But there is, better- there is, there is an arc. Well, I mean, I guess. I mean, there, there a, is. There's a love story arc. Yeah, I know, but it's there. I mean, it's a hundred percent there. It, it, it. Look, dude, the movie begins with mm-hmm. the meeting. That's when the, the arc starts, and the movie ends with whatever happens with them, those characters. That's how. It, True. It, that. 
It's, that. it's a climax so, okay, and everything. There's a very minimal, yeah, very minimal story here. But, um, you know, it's, it's a very haunting film because the thing I like about it, it, it's basically following these two characters that are living almost pointless lives. Like, they really don't have any purpose. You know, I mean, you could argue that Henry's purpose was just to kill. But I love how... McNaughton showcases that so well. It's just every scene, they're just, okay, what do you want to do now? Kind of thing. Yeah, they're not Becky really trying to get really have a purpose TV. either. I know, I and like. that's it, 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 And all three of them live in, together it's a in nice this contrast. apartment where they do these regular things like have dinner, and then it's like, I don't know, want to go get a beer? Like, that actually reminds me of um, when I used to live with a few, like a lot of people, and none of them had jobs. And it was yeah, just yeah. kind of just this like flowy thing where it's like, you know, that they, they would like everything was like kind of you know basic everything was just like what do you want to do you know and it you know it definitely reminded me of that and yeah i like that about it because it makes them seem even less human i guess you know because they're just kind of float floating well that's the the thing man they they you showcase these these two guys living pointless lives with a pointless narrative to a point. I mean, I, I, I mean, mean, there's, there's the random scenes like you have a random scene where the Otis sells drugs. And yeah, if I anything, know. I guess it's to sort of, um, I guess, give you the, the hints that Otis is sort of a closet homosexual, maybe. Yeah, I, I never was really fully sure on what they were trying to do with that scene right there. Um it is strange because, you know, like I said, you know, at the top of the show that Otis even tries to rape his sister. And at one point he puts his hand on this high school kid's leg. And I'm like, it is strange. Otis's character is strange. And I think they're just kind of getting to the point like this guy is just he's just either fucked in the head or confused or I don't really know what they're trying to do with that, to be honest. He's just a weirdo. <laughs> he is, man. I think he, I think it's just, he just really doesn't have a purpose that he's willing to do anything. I mean, this is what happens to some people. It's like, you don't have that everyday purpose. So no question. Maybe, I don't know. Becky, it was Becky part of the actual story of Henry Lee Lucas. Like did Otis have a sister that there was like a love interest there and they like lived together and shit. As far as I know, I don't know about that. I have never read about Becky. She could have been there. Um, because one of the problem, the slight issues that I have with the movie is from the very moment almost that Otis and Becky are together, Otis is coming on to Becky in an inappropriate way. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that makes much sense considering why would she go visit this this dude? Because if he's doing it right away, then he obviously did it before when they were yeah, growing yeah. up. So why would she come live with this dude Who's like, uh, I think, I think it might just be something that you're just noticing. Maybe it wasn't even thought of, you know, who knows? I I don't really know. Plot hole? Big time. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, it's probably something I didn't even realize. Just kind of threw that in there. Oh, I mean, it's just kind of making Otis look like a more of a scumbag than he, than he, than he is, you know? Yeah, but that, that's the major plot hole then. It is. It is. Um, but, uh, yeah, man, this one is just fuck, dude. Like, you know, for such a low budget film, isn't it incredible? Like how low budget this film how is. How low budget was it? Because I don't know. I don't know, man. It just it looks low budget. It feels low um, budget. One hundred and eleven thousand dollars. One hundred eleven thousand. So yeah. Um, but it just has like really. It's got really good acting. It's like Michael Rooker just kills this fucking role as Henry. Yeah, he does He's a so really really good job. 
every scene, man, he's menacing. He's he actually because he actually does remind me of Henry Lee Lucas. Like he kind of looks has that look and stuff for sure. Yeah, man, he's just super menacing. He's got that alpha male. He's very he's a very strong individual and just he's fucking believable, man. But so is Otis, though, man. Like Tom Tiles, like he yeah, he, he plays does a really good Otis. Job. He, he does a great job as Otis, man. He's fantastic. I mean, if there was a weak link, it would be Becky, but she wasn't even that bad in this film. There's not really a whole lot of characters. Um, I, I can but, almost uh, see why she is attracted to Henry in in her way because of the way that you know that she's kind of. In, in trouble a little bit he's like that alpha male dude like she her life isn't going super good they kind of bond over some things and it, it kind of makes sense why she might be I, I, and I, she had father if you issues. look at it like that of course man she had her issues but i mean obviously things were going so bad and let's assume that she has had these encounters with otis before and she knew what she was getting herself into so so she knows what she was doing man so it kind of makes sense that she would probably end up with something she was looking somebody. for a protector in a way yeah and she saw that in henry you know even though that she probably now, question is henry's motives genuine like is he actually being protective over becky because he you know cares because he there's a few times like one where where otis says that he's messing around when he tries to kiss becky and henry flips out and he's like that's your sister so is mm-hmm. that genuine is there actual I, I feelings think there i i think it is because henry he talks about how you know i mean basically the reason why he killed his mother is because she was a whore you know, and I think he sees Becky as someone that could be possibly saved. And like, I mean, he admits many times that he's into girls. Like, you know, it's not like he hates women and he kills women just because or whatever. But um, I don't know, man. Maybe he sees something in that and he's trying to save her. I don't know. I really don't know. Yeah. The only thing that like it's weird that they would choose that when they're trying to display the fact that he's a complete sociopath and doesn't care about anything. So like, yeah. I find that the message and the story gets a little convoluted at times or just confuse it. Well, same word. It's, um, it's actually one of my biggest complaints about the film, honestly, is the subplot with the kind of the love interest between Henry. It's and essentially Becky. the mean, only plot, which makes it even worse that it's so prevalent, you know, exactly. But you know, it kind of set, I mean, if this, if, if they threw that, subplot into the film the subplot the plot <laughs> i want to keep want to say subplot but if they threw that in there for the sake of setting up the ending then i mean i guess i can kind of see that but at the same time i completely 100 percent agree with you that it is it's a little contrived because this is a sociopath we're dealing with right you think that well, he would become which that is, accustomed to saving her i mean he doesn't know becky which is he why doesn't even fucking know otis man which is why i so strongly wanted to believe that he was playing her because yeah. like then it would make the sociopath angle make sense. But he, if he actually cares about her, then mm. it kind of doesn't make it make sense, which is like it's it's hard to like, say. I mean, I, I think that they were trying to be genuine with him actually caring and trying to save her and stuff. And I don't know. I mean, try to put a little bit of I, I don't know, man. They don't do it as much in this film as they do in the second film making henry more of a sympathetic character i mean i guess there's moments in this one where he's saving her from you know otis kissing and you know otis raping her and things like that like he's playing the hero part um i don't know man i think honestly it's it's a little bit of uh it's just it it, it hinders the same question i come back to is why 
Why is exactly. he saving her from kissing her? Why well, is he saving it, her from raping her? Does he just have standards? Does he just be like, no, like I'll, I will do, we'll kill people's throats and stuff, but not this. You know, I, it's confusing again, it, it, to me. I'm just. It can go back to the whole point of, you know, he's a sociopath. I mean, we really don't fully understand sociopaths in, a, in general because, you know, there's been different cases of people that they just showcase different symptoms and they do different things, you know, being a sociopath. And maybe Henry's is, maybe he's just a little sympathetic to the one that's, you know, she, he just feels like she needs to be saved or something. I don't know. It, it's really strange. Who really knows what they're trying to allude to with that? But yeah, I mean, I, I almost it's strange. wanted to like, I think there might be a commentary on the disc. I was, you know, if I had more time, I was going to listen to it because hopefully there was have- some insight in there. What'd you say? Uh, oh, did, did you watch a Dark Sky Films yes. DVD release? Okay, so I have like one, I have the older, older DVD release of it, which unfortunately was like in, uh, um, full screen. And it's funny too, the approximate runtime on the backs is 130 minutes. <laughs> really? I, I was like, what the fuck? 83 uh, minutes. Yeah, there is one. It says Recollections with director John McNaughton and it's about it. But yeah, there is a commentary on there though. I, I, my disc is over. Across the room, okay. so I, I but don't that would know. Be, it would be interesting to get some insight into what they were thinking because all we can do is speculate, right? I mean, we're dealing with a sociopath here, so it's already pure speculation. Yeah, but at the same right? time, it's, it's we're, so hard we're, to we have if we're reviewing it, we have to judge based on what we're presented, and I do think that it's slightly conflicting with what we're seeing and what we're what we're seeing early in the film. I'm just I'm not sure what I'm not sure what the well, idea is here, like. Like I said, though, man, like he, you know, he obviously has minor hatred. I mean, he kills women, he kills guys, whatever. But going back to the fact of the reason why he killed his mother, because she was a whore. And that's really what he all he says, you know, um, maybe he just for some odd reason feels some if type of sympathy really towards her in, that, too, in those though, moments. You know? Like maybe he feels bad for her because he knows Otis is a piece of shit. But that's again, you know, you know, that's kind of a little contriving. With, but at you know, the same time, zero. also, when you factor in. Um, certain end things, you start to wonder t- even more. Like, okay, so was this all? Like, is what is genuine and what is not? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I really don't know, and that's that's the big thing that I took away from this film. The big negative is just that I feel like it is slightly messy with that whole narrative with the Becky thing. And mm-hmm. if there is an answer, it would maybe change my opinion on it. But as a viewer, I see that it's it's either sloppy or I'm just missing it. Or it's or it's honestly trying to do two different things, which is possible. Yeah, I mean I I see it maybe that he's feeling some type of sympathy for her. I almost because... don't like thinking that though, because then I feel like it betrays what ha- like other things. I know, and that that's kind of the downfall. I mean, that is really what I do think, and I think that's a big mistake in the film. I do, too. Because cause we're dealing with someone that is totally should not be feeling like that, and right? I understand that there's levels not. of people, right? Everything's not white and black. But in this but particular our setup, case, but there's our setup not is giving a, us Yes, exactly. Our setup is giving us something totally different, and then we get we get hints of something else Yeah, that's, that's there. It, it, it is a little, but yeah, I mean – you know. Yeah, it's it's it seems like I don't know. It's like you're so strong on one side and then you switch things up on me, but it doesn't feel it's like 
it's not the right way. There's a right way to make somebody have multiple emotions where they feel bad and they don't feel bad and they feel hatred and they're, they're like sort of schizophrenic like that. There's a way to do that. But this, that's not what they were doing with Henry though. They were making him more of a sociopath. So that's why it doesn't mm. fit to me to be like yeah. these, these up and down emotions. However, though, it's a pretty damn good movie. <laughs> yeah. How about this? Hey, how about those bears? I just love that because, like, you know, in '86, man, the Bears were fucking awesome. (laughs) He's like, set in Chicago, which we haven't mentioned, and I love the set. Oh no, I was, I was getting there. We were just, we just kind of went on off on a very long tangent, but yeah, the grittiness of the Chicago in those days, right? Yes, pretty cool, man. Yeah, it looks good. Looks good. All right, so uh, what else you got, man? I don't know, man. I, I, I really, I really dig this film, man. I think that, you know, like I said, man, um, I like the fact that there's very minimal narrative here. And I think it's just in perfect contrast to our characters that are completely lost. Like you don't need to have this major structured narrative because we're following two people that don't have anywhere to go. Right. So it mm-hmm. completely makes sense to me. I love the low budget feel to it, man. It just feels like it's very menacing. The performances are just outstanding in this, but I completely agree with you with, uh, you know, what you want to call your arc and stuff, um, with Becky and shit. But, uh, yeah, man, this one, um, I really do like the fact that they didn't have to go the route of showing, you know, showing all the killings and I stuff. I think even a- noticed that they didn't really though. You know what I mean? Like it's not one of those movies where you're like, Oh, like they, they show the kills. big ones. <laughs> I mean, in the beginning of the film, they, they lose a little bit of that, you know, in the second half, of course, because of the famous, uh, filming the family murders and stuff where I love, which by the way, I love that scene because we see that for the first time while they're watching the videotape. Yeah. And, and I love that scene too, because it pans back and you're like, Oh shit, they're watching. It the says a lot. It, 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 it does, but, your character is right there. The, the best thing about that part, though, is when Henry looks over to Otis and goes, what are you doing? And he goes, I want to watch it again, man. Yeah. I'm like, oh, god damn. You guys yeah. are fucked in the head. Like, that's some that's some real sick shit right there. Um. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a scene where they're all dancing on the videotape. I mean, the video camera is like an uh, important sort of narrative, narrative device in the film because we get to see a lot yeah. about the characters, like the scene you just said, where they're watching it again and stuff like that. Um, but he just sort of flips out and wants to stop all of a sudden. And, um, I feel like that means something too, but I don't know. I don't know what really. Yeah. I mean, we're getting real into some deep psychology with that shit, man. Yeah. But it's I mean, definitely, there's a reason for it. It wasn't just oh, for, there sure. for no reason. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's all very interesting too. I mean, I don't really want to talk about the very end of the film. I wish we possibly could, but like, the fuck that scene, man. Jesus Christ, dude. I mean, it just kind of puts everything right back onto track, in my opinion. You know, I think it kind of falters at one point with this, this arc that we're talking about. And then it just kind of goes back right into it. And the way the film ends is just, it's just like, wow. Yeah. I really like the ending. Holy fuck. You're like, damn, man. That's really. Those are my that's favorite serious. kind of endings. By that's the way. very serious. Me too, man. It's very serious. And it's like, wow. I mean, they didn't pull any punches, you know, at all. Kind of, they kind of started with horror and they, they ended it with real true horror. It's, it's a really good bookend. Yeah. Um, so yeah, man, I mean, do you want to go into ratings? Yeah, sure, man. 
Okay, so I guess I'll go first. I usually go first as of late. Um, sure. Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer from the year 1986, uh, I think is very strong. It's definitely a really good movie. It, you know, it's a voyeuristic f- few days with, with these two serial killers. By the way, I like that it is two serial killers. Um, you don't mm-hmm. really get that. It's kind of, Henry gets all the credit, but they both were pretty messed up people. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I, it, it's, it's an interesting, there's a lot, there's a lot there in simple scenes, you know, that anytime you can tell a story with, with literal, just no dialogue, just, you know, you see something and you see something else. It, it, it's always, I love that stuff. I, I eat that stuff up. And, uh, this, this one does have its, its few questionable moments, but could have answers. They could have answers. Anyway, I like films that pose questions either way. So that's, even though it's a negative it's kind of a positive at the same time uh it's it's a film that uh goes by quick it really does the setting's good there's there's not many things that i don't like about it besides the few things that we got into uh michael rooker's performance is fantastic uh the 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 tom towels performance who plays otis is fantastic uh the direction's good uh music uh one thing, which I, I, you know, I'll save that for the sequel because there's there's something in the sequel too that that does it does it as well. But anyway, eight out of ten. <laughs> yeah, man, this one right here I find to be actually a scary film because I mean these people they kind of McNaughton kind of portrays it in a way that you know these people walk among us, you know, especially in the scene where you know Henry. And uh, Otis, they just go out, you know, they just go out to find trouble, just go out to kill someone. And, you know, it's where they flag down the car and they shoot this poor guy. And it's like, fuck, dude, it's just so goddamn. That, that I find, brutal, I, by the way. I know. I just find that shit so scary. And it's captured very well. It's in a low budget. It looks low budget, you know, but it's like low budget gratification when you watch this. You're just like, yeah, man, you know, this you is can one make of the these- cases that the low budget actually helps it really, with the look of the film it adds to it man it's that grimy you know they they capture a lot of nighttime scenes in in uh, chicago really dirty areas and stuff which is really mm-hmm. cool uh what sells this film the most for me is the acting um michael rooker uh tom Tallis, they do fantastic jobs they're so damn believable so fucking menacing um i like the fact that they didn't have to over accentuate the the kill scenes and stuff there's one really cool i mean some of the dead bodies look fantastic but there's this one dead hooker in a in um in a hotel room with a bottle like smashed down her throat and it looks fucking vile man it just looks nasty like man he it, it just shows how vicious he was he just it just really portrays the character so well and the fact that he has no regard for life and he's a true, true sociopath, man. And I, I love it, man. Yeah. It, it isn't without faults. JP mentioned it. I think the, uh, the thing with Becky is a little bit, nah, I think it's, um, it gets away from the, the real horror and it starts to show something that, you know, it's a little confusing, but again, I have to agree. I do like movies that raise questions it makes me think and we're still thinking about it and i'll probably be thinking about it after we we're done talking about this too because i have to find an answer now because mm-hmm. you're a fucking asshole for <laughs> so um but yeah man i i've never had any major major problems with this film i think there is room for improvement but with that said it's just such a menacing watch it goes by super fast what what is it like 85 minutes long or something like that it goes by really really fast yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's just got some really great scenes, man. Really, really great stuff. I give it 9 out of 10. All right. 
Awesome. So we go into Henry II, Portrait of a Serial Killer, uh, from the year 1996, of course. Uh, Henry II, Portrait of a Serial Killer. I don't know why it was called. It should have been called Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer Two. Don't you think? I know. I, I never understood this title. It always fucking confused me. By the way, there's <laughs> one DVD version of this that has a atrocious cover. Really? There's another release of this? I thought Dark Sky was only Yeah, there is another release. It is awful. Terrible cover. It's got fire all over it. So the guy that directed this film, uh, Chuck Porello, uh, he actually directed Ed Gein, which is a really cool film from 2001, 2002? Yeah. And I haven't seen The Hillside, Hillside Strangler but yet. That's but that's another uh, serial killer film. Which there's the, yeah. So he's, he likes the serial killer films, but I, I don't, I don't even know if that one's any good, but, but yeah. So, Henry II, Portrait of a Serial Killer from 1996. Right. I want to do the honor. This one actually kind of does have a structured narrative to it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of funny. This one is very similar to the first film, but at the same time, it's not. It's weird. Yeah, so uh, Henry II picks up where the original left off. Henry ha- takes a thankless job at a Portageon company where he meets a husband and a wife, Kai and Cricket. They take pity on the homeless drifter and offer him a room in the home they share with their emotionally fragile niece, Louise. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of your basic plot. So, yeah, yeah. Um, first of all, first thing that I'm going to say is it is very jarring. First, Henry oh, has gained a lot of weight. <laughs> dude, dude, it is so it's it's almost distracting when you because I watch these back to back again, and I was like, wow, that is just not Michael Rooker because <laughs> he's shorter and he's fatter. Yeah, and so he's just he puts on even his weight. demeanor, <laughs> even his demeanor is different. Yeah, so. and uh, then you sort of uh, it's it's very jarring when you when he starts acting too, and it's not Michael Rooker. So once yeah. you kind of get used to that, then you can let the movie start going. Um, there's a weird scene early on where he's at a homeless shelter and there's a weird dude who just decides to pull down another dude's pants and start humping And dry him. hump him. Yeah. And dry, he's dry humping. And I, I was like, what the fuck? And the fuck, dude's man? like, get off me. Please get off me. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> I always thought that was interesting too, how they started off the film. And you can tell that like Henry's super uncomfortable by it and stuff, but don't you get it? Don't you get the impression that like he's just, he, he almost seems like he's a different type of character. He's, like, it's he's a completely kinda, different portrayal of Henry. It is, man. He seems they a little obviously, more local. Michael Rooker and this guy obviously did not share notes before they, before he did the sequel. You know, it's unfortunate too because Michael Rooker was actually offered this job for uh, Henry too, but he turned it down. No. And it, yeah, and it would have been really cool to see him in this film because I think this film probably would have been maybe a lot better. I don't know. But I don't know, man. You can just tell, like, right away in this film, you can tell that the filmmaker is trying to. I don't know, man. He, the portrayal of Henry, he's trying to make you feel sympathy for him a little bit by having him in this, uh, I don't know, what do you, homeless shelter or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Henry that we knew from the first one, I don't think that he was going to a homeless shelter. I, I just thought that was a very interesting thing right away. I was yeah. like, what the fuck? I mean, do you know how many years this film is supposed to take place after the original? It doesn't, it doesn't give you a timeline. It doesn't even give you fucking dates or any like there's nothing yeah on this so it's supposed to take place it says right after the first one so who knows man maybe he drives a county over and it's just yeah this I is mean, this is what maybe he gets involved in. if you wanted to say this that henry he 
was like much older in this film, then you might be able to get away with like his his react his like the way he is. The way I've gathered, it is supposed to be directly up. So I'm exactly. thinking, you know, maybe you stayed over, and it's just wow, it's so like like you said, jarring. Yeah, <laughs> it's very and, jarring. You know, it it's also it's also weird in general to make a sequel to a film that is like sort of a biography, even though it's not a biography in yeah. in a way it kind of yeah, is because it's, it's based on a real serial killer. So to make a sequel to that is it's kind of a weird idea, right? I mean, yeah. But yeah, so it's a non-fictional character based in this kind of fictional reality or this fictional setting kind of thing. Yeah, it's like it's like I missed the part in the documentary where uh, Henry like joined teams with an arsonist. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> um, I know. So Henry two, Henry two is ah, it's 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 kind of a it's kind of a weird narrative because it is so different from the first one. And you really have sort of this um, – it's because of the first like 30 minutes, Henry is such – he's so – you know, like I said, well, he's different person. because he's different because they're trying to make you feel sympathy for him. Like he's all kind of down on his luck. He needs a job and stuff. And, and just the way he's kind of moping around and the way he's talking and stuff, like he's just kind of – you can tell he's desperate. You know, and like but you know exactly who this guy is and it's just a very strange – portrayal of the character and uh, but it kind of goes on and on like you know after kai and his wife take him in you know he just he's very kind of like kind of almost shy and like kind of downbeat and stuff he's just yeah which he's not is like not that henry that's not the no, henry we see and he was very he would talk he would say things he well, would come the in there, attention a bit there's a scene where buddy comes over the guy that's you know hiring kai to do the uh the arson jobs and you, I'm watching Henry's or you know the performance and Neil uh, Guntali's. By the whatever. way, by the way, Neil, say it again. Gun, Guntali or something like that. Elliot. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's that's a uh, good old Eddie Caputo from 1998's Child's Play. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, but anyways, so you know they're they're going down in the basement. And I'm watching, uh, you know, his performance. And he's sitting at the table, and you can tell, like, his shoulders kind of drop down, and he, he, you can, you can see that he feels uncomfortable and stuff. It's like this Henry would be all in there, like leaning back on his chair and being like, "Yo, man, what's up? Yeah, like, what are you guys doing? You know, just kind of like not trying to get too involved, I, but just being like, because he's an alpha male, he needs to kind of be in control and stuff. But this portrayal is just so fucking strange. You, like, you, you don't, know what I think is most jarring is the voice. The voices that Michael Rooker just has that voice, and yeah. it's so different. It's, this these movies are not a good idea to watch back to back, like clo- in close proximity, because <laughs> I, I took twenty <laughs> minutes between. I I made myself a wrap. Yeah, it's even way <laughs> more jarring. Um, yeah. But so there's a scene that I want to mention where Henry is seeing the niece, which I, I don't know what what is your gauge on her age. By the way, um, well, she's in nice. I'm assuming that she's in college and stuff. I think she's like in her early 20s, kind of thing. Well, it says in the plot that she's a teenager. So it says, says in the, does, really does because it, does it say she's in college specifically? Yeah, because she, yeah, because the uh, the auntie, the the wife, she says that yeah, she's taking night classes, okay, uh, or whatever. And well, I, I mean that would be 19 and 1920, yeah, because okay, like yeah. I was wondering like how old she was supposed to be. But anyway, 
judging by this scene where two little kids pick on her, like I figured she might be a little younger, which honestly would have made the story a lot better if she had been like 16 or something. I know, right? Another level of weirdness to it. But, uh, yeah, so she's probably like 19 or something. These two little kids pick on her. Henry runs over and is like, Hey, you stop that. And like knocks over this little kid who like, I think there was blood on his forehead, but I'm not sure. And I'm like, okay, physically assault two kids and nobody in the scene seems to find that odd at all (laughs) you know the guy that you just let in your house to stay in the basement physically assaults two little kids like i know that nowadays like you know you can't even like blow blow air at a kid and and not be like hauled off to prison but even in 96 this is not likely to happen where you knock two little kids over and that that scene in itself in that scene itself kind of starts a subplot too yeah because there's like yeah yeah, there's like this whole revenge thing it kind of goes back and forth and you're just like okay and you also (laughs) think a guy who is you know probably killed a lot of people across the country being his drifter killer self left Mm -hmm. left uh, another person's bought like two <laughs> left a lot of bodies laying around like you think that he might want to try to keep a low profile and not assault two kids I know, right? uh, and yeah. that once again that also betrays like the smartness of the henry before who was talking about you don't want to kill t- people the same way and stuff mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there was so, one funny moment modes what's that well there's probably more than one but one one thing that I actually, you know me, I don't, I don't really bust out laughing a lot when I'm, <laughs> when I'm watching movies. I'm, I'm very serious all the time, and I'm just like, I like if you can picture me watching a movie, it's me sitting back on a couch with my arms crossed, like <clears throat> entertained. <laughs> like totally like that's that. that's like yeah. the cartoony version of me. So uh, two guys are the Henry and the you know guy that he's living with. They're they're working on the port of johns and these these guys walk past and they're like that's a shitty job (laughs) and i'm like clever clever because their their job is literally a shitty job oops i like that shit too man it was funny i just like the look that he gives him to you just gives him that fucking eye like fuck you man but it's an interesting it's an interesting scene because that kind of it's almost like that's that joke kind of set the fire back into henry because later on after that that's when they go and do their i think they go and do their job was it their first job right after that uh when they find the uh the squatters in there well no because what happens next is another another scene that's really stupid and that is that henry knows that something's going on in the basement so he's chilling at his you know where he's uh, being allowed to stay at and he oh yeah, that happens to before they go into and do, yeah. his his the homeowners, the person that gave him the job, the person that's letting him stay under his roof, sneaks into sick, his sneaks into his bedroom while he's sleeping, steals the basement keys, goes down in the basement, and finds all this gas cans and all this other shit, and Celebrate. then the guy walks in on him in there, and then he decides to tell him his diabolical plan about his insurance scams. And I'm thinking like, okay, first of all, this guy who you don't know. You see an assault two kids, steals your keys, goes down into your basement, sees your secret scams that your you know insure your insurance scams, and then you invite him in on it. Are yeah. you kidding me? <laughs> what are you Which... talking about? You're bur- you're committing arson, burning down houses for insurance money. This guy has assaulted two kids. You know nothing about him. He's a drifter. He steals your keys. 
while he's staying at your house that you let him stay at, sneaks down into your secret basement and finds your plans, and you're going to invite him in on it. That is one huge, giant mega pothole. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it is pretty, it's pretty fucking laughable. But that's kind of the point in the film where it changes Henry's demeanor right there. Yeah. You know, because they go out there and, you know, they set fire to this place and they come across these fucking squatters or whatever just before they're ready to do it. Anyways, they more or less kidnap the fucking guys. Well, they and... were, they were, they looked young. I would say probably about 17, 18. Yeah. 18. Yeah. So instead and of they actually, they were drug addicts, the they were smoking crack. Yeah, and they, they kind of they almost give an excuse in the film to kill him. He like which <laughs> Henry again, pulls out. He finds this like fucking meth pipe or whatever, and he's like, "Oh, here they're meth heads. We have to execute them." <laughs> kind of yeah, thing, which, right? by the way, I was like, "Oh shit, just got real, man, brutal." Like yeah. I like the way that they kind of uh, set that scene up where they kind of kidnap him. You're not sure what they're really going to do with him. Like you figure they're just going to burn him. Like at first, I thought they were going to tie him up and he was going to burn him in the building. Yeah, yeah. But then. Which actually would have made more sense because it's like, oh, well, they probably were staying there and their crack well, pipe probably it, it, blew it up would've... and caught shit on fire and burned out. It would have made all the more sense because right before that, Kai was telling Henry about his accelerant and how it burns at like 500,000 times fat or hotter, faster, whatever. Yeah, which is I mean, supposedly it w- burns all the evidence that you use to light the fire. Exactly. You know, you would have never left the bodies behind, but, you know, it is what it is. I guess you want to have some fun, but that's a turning point, and, you know, that kind of puts Henry back in charge a little bit, you know. Um, and, and it kind of gives Kai, like, the, uh, I don't know what you want to call it. It kind of gives him a little bit of initiative to go out and do some more, maybe a little bit. But he's he's kind of an odd character in the film because he's you're never really fully sure – it's which way he wants dude. to go because I know that's well, the, the thing because like, he's is, already a bad guy but then he doesn't want to do this and then and then of course they try to re recreate you know that famous videotape scene from the first film in this one where he's like a total fail and he's he won't he won't fucking kill the lady and stuff and uh yeah, you just that was after he's seen dude cut his head off and like it's like okay the 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 stupid thing about that character is so they find these squatters, they, they kidnap them instead of burning them up in the house, which would have been pretty brutal. But then they even do something more brutal where they tie them to a fence and shoot them. Yeah. And right then and there, it's like, okay, so you tie them to the fence. Henry wants you to kill one of them. Like how do all of a sudden you go from like an arsonist, which honestly, let's be, let's be real. Like, like that that's bad well, because they, but, I mean, they actually give hints they actually give hints to kai that you know that he potentially might turn this way anyways because well because after uh the fucking the parents of the kids showed up at the house and uh the wife spit in their face he was fucking totally pissed off and stuff he's like oh just let me go over there and fucking kill him or whatever and stuff like that and he was like he was all jacked up and worked up about it and shit yeah, so but like i think I've that's kind of things like i'll fucking kill that guy yo like no i know i know i know it's i'm I'm not i'm not even defending this it's just their reasoning behind it you know it's like oh well you know uh, he said true. this one time but now and this is kind of like a prelude to this he was like well you know this is my opportunity to follow through with what i say kind of thing right so i think that's what they're minor setup is i I, I feel that yeah that is their minor setup but it doesn't work 
No, exactly. It it totally doesn't because he's not a killer. He's a fucking arsonist. Yeah, dude. Nobody just jumps into killing like that. Like, you know, you're not like. I mean, the the whole plot, the whole character, it just does not make sense. As a matter of fact, like the whole middle of this film, to be honest, you you know, you think even though this film is like a hundred times gorier than the first one, it actually shows a lot of the kills, which is, of course, not as effective as the first film. I mean, they try to recreate in the opening scenes, right, by panning out with a couple kills, but then they they get into it right away. Yeah. it's just not as effective, but this one is gory and stuff, but it doesn't work, man. The middle of the film, in, in my opinion, is fucking drags. It, it's actually kind of boring to me. Well, see, I, I actually didn't find it boring, the whole movie at all. It is pretty short. Like, it, I actually had a lot of it's 85 minutes and I, f- I feel like it, it feels like two hours to me man. Really? i don't know there's something about this movie it just it just kind of drags and stuff and it just kind of keeps replaying the same type of scenes and then of course you got that stupid subplot where you know buddy's trying to get revenge and oh my god well, well my thing is like okay by this point in the film like i'm like okay this movie's stupid but yeah. now there's like some gory shit and like some kills and like throat slits and, and i'm like okay well if that, it's gonna that, be stupid man at least nasty. huh the old man throat slit was yeah nasty. yeah yeah but seriously like I'm I'm thinking like okay if this movie is gonna be stupid at least it's being entertaining with some fun kills and yeah and you do different things and honestly one thing that I will say that I liked about it so is stupid. that there was a like decent vibe with like some of the like some of the locations they're at where they're in the house that like in the buildings that they're burning down and stuff and it's like dark and. And I don't know, like it has that like '90s vibe, but not the the you know, you know what it is. Vibe. You know what it feel? It has that '90s thriller music in it. <laughs> it fucking does. feels like '90s because of that music, man. It's crazy. I understand about some of the sets, yeah, yeah. But there's so many stupid parts, man. Like the scene where where uh, Henry gets up to go to the bathroom. They're downstairs with their that drug addict fucking guy, and and Kai's sitting there, and then of course Buddy pulls out some drugs and and uh, spikes Henry's drink there. And like Kai just, of course, Kai's like kind of on the fence. He's like, "Well, you shouldn't have done that and stuff." It's like, "Are you fucking kidding me with this shit, man? Ridiculous!" But of course, that's just their setup so he can fucking kill him, anyways. But um, you know, how it so is. but I, I just thought the part was like completely ridiculous, though. Fuck. Um, one thing that I hate, and and this is this is also in the first film as well. I don't like when um it's a serious movie and, and people snap people's necks with their bare hands. Like I've always hated that in movies. It's so unrealistic. I don't like it. It, it, it <laughs> unless you're Jason fucking Voorhees or some supernatural slasher, don't be snapping people's necks with your bare hands. You look, well, silly I think, good. I think it's cause he's got lots of experience. So, you know, he knows how to work his hands. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, well, anyway, what, okay. This so is not a Kung you... Fu movie guys. Okay. Now, now, this is real can... life. Yeah. So we had we had a little bit of issues with the uh um the Henry and Becky thing in the first film. Now this one goes a little bit further. This film really tries to portray Henry as a sympathetic character at times. It drives me fucking nuts, man. I know, and you know what I think, dude? They do it Listen, too much in this one. This Especially is my, this, this this is my this is my I this is my fucking fucking thing. This my fucking Ugh. giant thing why it all makes sense. Because the people who made this movie watched the first one and they were as confused as me and you on what the story was supposed to be and they took it this way and they're like, oh, well, he's obviously this like guy <laughs> who likes girls and stuff. Like so, it's it's a, it's a good possibility, but they go a little bit too far with it though. I think because I just can't imagine Henry, you know, sitting there like, okay, so this girl I can't remember what her name is, but 
she's a niece and she's taking night class, art night classes. So she's into art mm-hmm. and she's very strange. She's very kind of out there. And, uh, so he sits down and he's having a conversation with her and she believes that they're having a relationship kind of thing, right? Because he draws her, she asked him to draw a picture and he actually does. He draws this picture in which you're probably thinking it's going to be all nasty and shit, but he hands it to her and it's like a fucking pony galloping through this green grass and nice blue sky. I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? That just seems so unrealistic to me. Like completely unrealistic. There's no way. Listen, here's my, here's my argument for that where I feel like it it went too far, too far with it. Well, I think that there's a, there's a way that you could explain it and it leads, but the problem is this film is so different from the first one, but Again, with the Henry is smarter, but in this one, he's not portrayed that way. So it doesn't, it doesn't work yeah, for this, but yeah, he exactly. was playing her. That's how it could work. That's how it could work because she's kind of dumb in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, it, but it's, I don't know, man. It's kind of, it's kind of offsetting because if he's playing her, I mean, he keeps turning her down. He doesn't really want a whole lot to do with her. I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's such a weird subplot in the film that. Like you don't really know a hundred percent where it's gonna go. I think he's. I think in this film, like, like does he want her or does he not? Because I think he's he taking the time. Is what it is, in this but film. then he rejects her because, of course, he's like, "Well, I can't be doing that." It's it's a it's a confliction well, of it his is. mentality. He's, is what he's, it is in this film, it, and this is this is completely different from the first film. But so in is this he film, like he can't do it because it's their niece. You know, he's no. having those type of moments. Like, what the fuck? No, 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 no. It's in this film, he's a sympathetic character. He's a character that wants that level of humanity, that level of connection, and he finds oh, this girl. So he, he kind of does things on her level where he, he sees that this, this sympathetic pony thing will, will kind of connect them a bit. And in this film, he wants that. That's, that's sort of the whole point of this one. I don't think he a hundred percent wants it though. He, I think that he, think he, there's a part of him that wants it because he, you know, he, obviously he does. No, he definitely he, wants she, it, bro. He 100%. he does, but then but then he fucking rejects her. No, no, no. See, you're missing that point too. He in this film, he's aware of who he is, and he he cares so much that he wants to push her away because he's a monster. I think he might even mm-hmm. say that in one scene where he says I'm a bad man or something like that. Oh no, he does. He does. Yeah. So in this he, one, after he, he draws, after he draws bad, the picture, it's like. Yeah. Yeah. She kind of wants to spark up relationship. Yeah. I get that completely. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, but like to me, um, I just don't, I just don't like it. I think it's just, no, over, I hate it. It's too <laughs> over sympathetic here. It, they just, they kind of, they, it's a completely they really kind of dumb, they dumb down the character is what they do. In I'm going to tell it's everybody just, out there listening right now, the faster you completely forget about the first one, the more you can just move on because this, this character is not the same person at all. 100%. No. No. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't like it. Do not like that. Uh, that 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 they kind of changed the whole thing. Um, there is one scene though that does connect this film directly to the first film with a line of continuity, which I always appreciate. It's a very nice gesture when you're making a sequel. Anybody out there making a sequel, please do that because I go nuts with OCD shit. Hmm. Of course. Yep. <laughs> uh, so there's a couple throat slits in this film. Uh, one with a decapitation at the end of it. Uh, 
it's weird seeing Henry as like an arsonist. Like he's just like that's the whole. It's like the whole. There's a huge chunk of this film that revolves around this arsonist things. Thing. I just feel like yeah, I know, and I, I know it's it's almost too much of Kai's game, you know, instead of Henry. You know, I just feel like he's not even really that much in control in the film, and it's just a little offsetting, a little jarring, mm-hmm. um, especially in the end too, because you can see where this film is going. You know, I mean, and I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, can you can, see you can totally, going and you don't. You like can it. totally see where everything is, like how it's all going to go down, and you know, you kind of predict it in your mind, and then you go, "Wow, like everything I thought of happened." <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's I, I found this film to be just overly predictive, man. Like, oh, 100%, predictable, dude. It's so predictable in the end. It's like, oh my god, like okay, you guys just wrote that in five minutes. We can tell. So, I mean, it, this this is to me, it's a very forgettable film. It's very, very forgettable. I wouldn't go as far as saying forgettable for me um, because I'm going to be honest. Like, I enjoyed this one. You know, I bet you this movie had a fucking bigger budget. It feels it feels lower. I mean, the quality of this film is interesting. It feels like a TV film at times. And what I mean by that is – That's that 96 the, the, vibe though. It's, that trans, it's, that. it's the transitions because they will fade out and then fade in on these long fade outs and fade ins and stuff like, like they were taking commercial break. It's very strange. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, this movie wasn't a TV film. It just has that vibe to it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's like just stemming from the 90s. Sorry, I got the hiccups. You, you know what's kind of <laughs> interesting about Henry is that uh, it first premiered in 1996 at Chicago International Film Festival and actually didn't get an official release in the U.S. till 98. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, because it probably didn't do very well at the film festival. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, man, it's it's such a it's such a bizarre sequel, honestly. It I mean, really is, maybe man. He, Michael Rooker read the script and was like, "Now nah, pass." Yeah, I don't want to play a sympathetic character. It's like, okay, I'm supposed to be this hardcore menacing, just fucking don't give a fuck character, and this one, it's just not that. Yeah, it's not that at all, man. Um. Yeah, I don't. I'm kind of really, it on. I'm kind of done on it too, bro. <laughs> I don't really have any more notes. I think we kind of covered everything that I even have written down here. I'm just trying to <laughs> scan thing, scan through. But um, want to go yeah. ratings? I, I guess. I guess. Um, go first. I'll, I'll go first. Uh, so pretty much everything I have to say, I've already said. I think this one is just. It's a jarring mess. Um, I, I really don't care for the sympathetic aspect of this film. I don't even like the portrayal of Henry is just, it's so off-putting. I, I don't really care for it. There's a lot of things happening in this that are, I have a hard time believing. I do appreciate, you know, uh, with some of the gore and stuff. I think that was a nice thing. I mean, if you are going to have a messy narrative, you might as well, like you said, fill it in, <laughs> fill up the gaps with some nice gore and stuff, which, you know, it was nice to see that it was at least practical for Christ's sake. Um, but this one to me is just messy and it's my biggest complaint though. I find it a little bit boring and it's so predictable that I'm just like, woo. But even with all the negative said, there is things I do like about it. Um, you know, but overall I'm going to give it about an average mark. I'm going to give it five, five out of 10. All right. Um, so me personally, this one, um, as a sequel, it's, it's not good guys. It's an awful sequel actually. But if this film was called, say, The Drifter or, you know, The Tenet or something stupid like that or, like, The Arson. 
Hey, the tenant's a good film, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but if, if this was like the, you know, the drifter and the arson or something, or like, or like Portageon, the Portageon killer or something like that. You, and you watched it and you were like, Oh no, dude, the drifter versus the arsonist. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> the worst title ever. And, and, and if it honestly had no connection to Henry portrait of a serial killer, you'd be like, Oh, that wasn't like a bad nineties little fucking serial killer thriller movie, you know? Cause it, the, that's the, the problem comes from us knowing the previous history of Henry. That's where the main problems, besides the stupid plot holes that I said, like how he steals the keys and shit and like that. But I mean, yeah. if, if this was just a random movie and that's kind of how I watched it. And you guys might be saying like, well, JP, you're an asshole because you made that huge spill on basket case about how like it betrayed everything. And that's why it sucked with basket case too. And yeah, you're kind yeah, of right. Contradicting yourself, man. You're contradicting yourself. This film it is only one thing. It's Henry and the, the in Basket Case there was so many elements that was the same yet different. Like it's the same movie and now it's just amped up in comedy. This one is just a character shift. And I think it's slightly different, but it, it is slightly contradictory as well. Uh, I just felt like it worked a little bit easier to disconnect them in this one than in Basket Case. And it's probably because it's same director, same style, same same multiple same characters. This one is only one same character. Uh, and he's kind of different. Maybe he's different after what happened at the end of the first film. Kind of triggered something in him. That's That could be argued. It could be. Uh, it's problematic when you're dealing with Henry Lee Lucas as a person who... Uh, was pro- projected a certain way and, and we know how he was and he didn't change. So um, <laughs> anyway, uh, it's it's a movie that I honestly didn't mind. Like I, I enjoyed the kills. It went pretty fast. I had a fun time talking about it while I was tweeting. Um, it's, it's not super good, not super bad, um, but there, I liked it more than I didn't like it and I give it about a 6 out of 10. Damn. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah, man. I, I feel like this one is just like an extension of the first film. But at the same time, I don't know. Maybe pointless is a hard adjective, but, you know, it's just it not as good as the first pointless. one. It's 100% yeah. pointless to do a sequel on Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer like this. But yeah. I honestly do think if this was just called Portrait of a Serial Killer or not even that, well, yeah, it could be called that. And it was not attached to Henry. Like it would be probably you could you could disconnect that the the character shifted so much because that is the the biggest argument is just that it's not Henry it's completely yeah. different but you do have to keep in mind that you are judging it as a sequel because it's fucking called Henry too so like, yeah you do have to take points and you don't really have much that. choice either considering it it's supposed to take place directly after the first film yeah that was that was the intent of the filmmakers so yeah. Yeah, just not as good as the first one, obviously. I went from a 9 to a 5. <laughs> I went from an 8 to a 6, not as big of a jump. So you were lower on the first one than me and higher on the second one. Fucking strange. Yeah. I That's feel really... like that happens a lot. That is weird. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, last time, didn't that happen with I Know What You Did last summer? Because I was like, I was higher than you on the, the, on the first, first film and lower the... than you on the last film. I think yeah, it was yeah. You were higher than me by a point and a half on the first film. We were dead on on the second one, 
And the third one, I think I was a point and a half higher. I give a five and a half and you give a four. Four and a half. So four and a half or something. So yeah. Yeah. So I think, if, I think if you added the shit up, I think you're actually higher than me uh, as a total rating on, I know what you did last summer. Probably. Strange. Probably. Which doesn't, which doesn't really surprise me. No, no. Um, my main thing with the first one was the, the, like, I don't know. It's a good movie. It really is a good movie, but, um, it's, there's not a whole lot there to, to sort of dissect in, dissect in terms of story except for that one thing and it just so happens that that one thing was kind of messy and this yeah. film it, it's, it's this, where it lose points yeah the second film is just it's just messy all around but it's I, I mean i did think that it had its had its moments like that like there was some decent kills and stuff like i love throat slits uh there you know the, i let i almost sort of like the arson angle as stupid as it was like it's like okay like henry got a job fucking insurance frauding cool <laughs> mm. yeah the wife i think she was from um i remember her from uh the drew carey show back in the day mm, mm. yeah she was she was definitely on that show i don't know why i even brought that up <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. you can slightly see her nipples in this movie though yeah i was definitely noticing that i was like okay yeah yeah <laughs> but uh yeah i guess that's gonna conclude um episode 83 83 and you know what unfortunately i don't know when we're going to be back no we're just taking it week by week as of now guys but um i'm ac- i'm actually going to be out of town all next week so maybe the week after i mean it all depends on jp but uh and i wish we could actually let you know possibly what the next show is going to be we haven't discussed it yet but we haven't discussed it yet so we're just taking this uh step by step so you know, like the TGIF show. Fuck, I'm going to stop with the TV shows right now. <laughs> Jesus. Um, but, uh, yeah, man, I had fun, man. Um, Henry 1 and 2, definitely interesting to talk about, I guess, to a point. But Yeah, we definitely. That, did, I definitely did my fair share of ranting this episode, guys. Oh, <laughs> boy. I was going hard. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what's going to happen when you're going to talk about these fucking synapse situations and... Uh, how can we not rant about that shit? Yeah. It'd be so awesome if they heard that shit, man. I know. I know. <laughs> Told you guys we called that shit. Anyways, I am just blabbling on. That's going to do it for episode 83. JP, you want to take us out? Yo, yo, guys. We out of here for another week. Potentially two, three, four, five months. I don't know. No, we'll be back sooner than that. But, uh, yeah, you can check us out. All the cool places, facebook.com slash group slash 22 shots podcast. That's where it's at. Uh, also, horophilia.com. Thank you, Jason Lloyd, for hosting the podcast, giving us iTunes for free. You can catch all of our episodes on iTunes, including the mini shots episodes, which are not on Moods' channel uh, because of copyright issues. Uh, also, 22 shots podcast on Twitter. I've been live tweeting. As I watch movies from 1996, it's turning out to be quite fun. Follow me on there. Um, we actually need to get you on the 22 Shots podcast Twitter as well, Moods, so you could do some live tweeting. I guess I could probably do that. Yeah, that would be fun. Uh, 22 Shots of Moods and Horror at gmail.com if you want to send us an email. Also, if you want to rate us on iTunes, that would be appreciated very much. Uh, I think we've gotten more since um, the last time we've read them off. Uh, I think we have, I don't know, four, 13, 14 now reviews, something like that, which is pretty cool, pretty cool. Um, yeah, that's not bad. 
uh, or 17 ratings. I think we have 17 ratings. Uh, yeah, the voicemail line, 724-426-6665. Again, that's 724-426-6665. As always, we love you guys. We love feedback the most, so keep doing that. Also, uh, YouTube, Mood616, Double Shot J. Got anything else to add, Moods? Yeah. That's a wrap. <laughs>